cafeteria to grab yourself a hot slice. Uh, I go by the username Jeremiah Samarian on both the SCP Wiki. Oh, no, I think on my you know, no, my YouTube channel is Doctor Samarian. You know, I, I struggled with that for a little while. I was like, are, if I do that, are people gonna think I'm a real doctor? And so I was like, should I use it or not? And then I was like, nah, it's fine because you gotta go with something simple, or otherwise people are never gonna remember your channel, and it's already hard enough to remember Samarian or a Roland Foundry. <laughs> I mean, that was a little that was a little contextless let's be fair. yeah it's, i remember that and i was like yeah that sounds like an scp channel doesn't it no, no. I, but, but all right well i mean i think for you it was smart to do dr samarian because people also might know you just for the character well there's that too yeah yeah so it's like you're the fish anything dr samarian related is gonna be there yeah, it's it's funny. I watched I've watched numerous other authors try, try and start channels. Some of them are still working on them, I think, but nobody uh, nobody seems to have the stick-to-itiveness that they need. It's it's a it's a rough in the beginning. You know, yeah. you're you're spending you're doing just as much work as I'm doing right now, but getting no feedback, no response. Basically, you just got to keep doing it until you do, I mean, and sometimes that might. Like, yeah, you might take a year for that. Like, what are you at? Like fifty-ish thousand now? Sixty thousand? Sixty. Oh, yeah, it was yesterday. I hit sixty-six thousand six hundred and sixty-six. <laughs> nice. But like, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't matter. I was just like, that was that. I, I don't know why, but I've been watching for that number for the longest time, just yeah. to see, just see it come up. And well, here we are. But I, remember, I think when we first started talking, you were like just that. Like, you just reached ten thousand. Yeah, it was something along those lines. I remember when we first started talking, you were like 250. Yeah, we were nothing. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, that was an interesting, that was an interesting dynamic because you went from 250 to, like, and you're asking me for advice and I'm like, I don't, I mean, like, I don't <laughs> fucking know, but here's what I did. And, and then you jumped to like twice or three times in the beginning. You're way yeah. bigger. You're, I don't think you're way bigger, but you're bigger now. Uh, twice, two times my size, I think. What are you like, one hundred and twenty ish? Well, right now we're one fifty. We just oh, one fifty. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely slowed down because we haven't done a big video for like a year now. So, but I'm, I'm not sweating it. I'll be like, once I release new stuff, then I can worry about it. As long as I'm not bleeding people, it is what it is. Well, it's the thing is that as long as you stick to, it doesn't matter what your schedule is. I think as long as you yeah. stick to a schedule, if you promise a video and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," then that's a different thing. But you don't even do that, really, right? You just kind of we just say, "Hey, roll we're with whatever." On this. Yeah, I'm trying to change that. We're trying to once we learn the 3D animation, it's it's a different ball game because I'm not relying on actor schedules anymore or locations. Mm. It's much more just like me and Nick, um, and whoever else we're collaborating with and their schedule. So not actually, to mention that you can, yeah. I, I, I said I've watched a couple of your things, and I think we've talked about this before. It's like you got good actors sometimes, but also mixed in there is a lot of like you know questionably quality yeah. actors sometimes, and you can do a little bit better with that with animated because you can really pick and choose your voice mm -hmm. actors. And like I can do multiple takes. I don't have to just be shoot it this one day and that's it. Which, which I hate. Yeah. I really hate that. Um, so that I'm I'm and then I'm really hoping. The YouTube space opens up soon because then I'll, what I want to do is mix live action with 3D animation. That's like mm. the end goal. So, 
Oh, so you're doing yeah, you're doing 3D animation because you listed a bunch of programs earlier, and I'm like, I'm not really sure what those are, but I think I remember Blender is like a 3D animation program. Yeah, that's like the biggest free one. Um, highly recommend it, guys. Just saying. <laughs> Shout out to Blender. <laughs> We're not sponsored, but no. fingers crossed. Uh, one day. What are you? Have you been writing anything? Any like bigger stories? Any like SCPs? Not for the wiki. No, they. Uh, passed a rule recently that you're not allowed to uh uh do uh, do work on the wiki that you've been paid for oh, so really? i kind of just stopped writing for him entirely because it's the question if the you know given given the option of continuing to essentially donate my writing to a to a website or get paid for it I decided that it made more sense to get paid for it. Yeah. It's not a huge deal because, like, okay, so the SCP Wiki is definitely an amateur writing community. Community, and when I say amateur, I don't mean lower quality. I mean not paid. Yeah. Uh, really, it's for hobbyists and such. Uh, and uh, I, I've been thinking about this, and I probably will do a video on it sometime soon. But uh, well, when I come off of hiatus in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think they've started getting to the point now where like they kind of teach people to devalue their work hmm. in a way like, Oh, just give us your work for free. And there's nothing wrong with that in the beginning, especially if you're just learning. But after a certain amount of time, I feel like, a lot, well, I feel like a lot of people would want to graduate from that. And that's not necessarily always true because SV wiki wants to have a stranglehold already has a stranglehold on anything you create. Cause once you do, that's it's gone forever. It belongs to everyone, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that either. When you're learning, but eventually, where are you going with this? Are you just enjoying it as a hobby? If you are, that's cool. And there's nothing low. And I'll say this: there are things on the SCP Wiki that were created by hobbyists slash amateurs that are just as good as anything a professional writer has ever written. Yeah, because there's a. I think there's a quality. There's not a quality cap, but there's a point where you go. It's like with IQs. There's a point where you go beyond a certain point, and it doesn't matter how much higher you go because it's just so high to begin with that it's impossible to tell the difference between this level and this level because there's so few things that reach that level anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, and and despite that fact those people want to remain hobbyist writers for forever they don't want the stress of you know having to compete commercially and that's fine but i'm not that person i've i'm a different person and that's fine too are you working on like so i don't know Wildbow. he's one of my favorite like online authors but so what he does is he writes like online like novels like serials and he basically just has his own oh. website for each novel. now i've just been doing a lot of ghost writing and writing for other people's videos oh okay cool yeah are you allowed to say or is it no really <laughs> i've done i've definitely done some work with uh sap illustrated i yeah. think i think that's hold on i think that's the only projects that i have done that are publicly like you know i've i've worked on Gotcha, gotcha. Rest of them are a little less public, so yeah. That's cool though. I'm glad like you're getting into video money. games, but that list is that list is long. Yeah, because I feel like I, I'm almost surprised you didn't have this set up earlier because you've been like a part of the community for like it feels like forever, honestly. Well, it was set up earlier. It's just now oh, yeah. they've made a rule that I 
can't do it on the wiki anymore. Like I just used to write stuff and get paid for it. And, and if I wanted to, I could just post it to the wiki. Not that I would, you know, ever do that because that's against the rules, but the, the option was always there. Yeah. Gotcha. And like, once they did that, I, I had to make a choice. I mean, they're basically saying you have to make a choice. Spend your creative, creative energy is not bottomless. You know, it's, it's something you have to budget one way or the other. And if like, I have to budget it between the SCP wiki and elsewhere, I know where it's, I know where that energy is going. Well, speaking of that, I don't know how much you're going to divulge since this is a uh, premium patron content. But uh, what's kind of like your creative writing process, or what like gets the creative juices going for you? Oh, I don't, I don't have a. I mean, I do have a process. It's have an idea, think about the idea until I'm ready to write it, and then write it. There's no like set like pro. Like I, my, I have a very very good memory, mm-hmm. so it's easy for me to just hold on to an idea and think it through until I have something that I like every once in a while I'll get stuck on like the beginning of it. And like, I'll, so an idea that's overly, and this is when I know when an idea is overly complex because you'll, you'll start thinking about it and you'll think about it and you'll have a great beginning. And then the next time you have to sit down and think about it, say you're in the shower or laying down and about to fall asleep, you still just think about the beginning only. And you're like, Oh, this idea <laughs> yeah. is too complex. I've been there. This is too long. Uh, but yeah, that's basically it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, uh, writing is a job. So like be having a creatively in being creatively inspired or excited about an idea or any of those things. It's a luxury. It's nice, but it is not in any way necessary. My creative process is have an idea. Think about the idea. Write the idea, regardless of how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, even if you work in TV, you basically get hired onto a job. It doesn't matter how much you love the show or whatever. You still have to, like, write out the character arcs and the storylines and all that stuff. It doesn't matter how yeah. you feel. I mean, for me, I've noticed my writing process is I write down the idea. I have a horrible memory, so I have to write it down right away on, like, my notes. And then I kind of just will have, like, a week or two of just, like, adding ideas to the, like, pot. And then what I'll do is I'll just sit down write a full draft. And my first draft is always the most generic, boring version. <laughs> it's just very cliche and like unoriginal. And then I end up rewriting it like two or three or four times, depending on the, the stories lately. Um, and it just slowly, I think I more try to like, once I don't know, like I, a lot of people talk about this, when you sleep on an idea and you wake up the next day and kind of see it with a fresher take, it's like almost like when you're learning a new language or things where like things stick and settle after you sleep a day or two on it. Or even a week depends. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know if this works. Well, this could work for you because I've looked. I mean, nothing you do is longer than ten ish minutes. I don't no. think. So we we live v- very luxuriously in the sense that we can write something in one setting. Mm-hmm. That's that's a huge deal because everything I write is either flash fiction, not even short. I mean, I've written some short story stuff in one setting, but you know. You can do it in one setting. You can't write an. You could write a novel in one setting if you were crazy, <laughs> but um, yeah. So the idea that we can just sit. Let, so my process probably works really well for that. But I'm sure if I were to try and do a not like a novel or something a little bit longer form, I'd have to alter it a little bit. You know, I'd yeah. like section it out. I guess probably be the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually working. I've been working on and off on two feature ideas that I know I probably won't make 
for a long time. Well, now that I'm learning 3D animation, it's, one of the ideas is kind of like a cyberpunk idea. It actually seems a lot more feasible. Um, just because a lot of the, the guy I'm learning from, Ian Hubert, all of his Patreon and stuff, he gives away like all the sets and the models he does, and all the stuff he does is cyberpunk. So it's like, how convenient. But I've definitely been... I th I'm a very visual uh, thinker. So like a lot of times I'll get like a setting or a character design in my head, and then that's where like the story will go off for original ideas. SP stuff, it's a little different because I'm kind of picking back on other stuff. But I've been trying to lean more into just throwing in, like Evan does, where he just throws in completely original stuff and just says it's SCP. Mm -hmm. So it makes it. Yeah, I think the idea is you get into the stuff that you want to do too. Because yeah. like when you're doing SCP stuff, if it's not your if it's if it's not your own stuff, sometimes it, it can feel a little uh, make work. Yeah. Rather than, uh, you know, if it's it's not like you're phoning it in, but it, it can be very difficult to do it justice the way you, it the way the creator wants, because the creator has an idea in their head yeah, and they can see what they want. Like, I'm a very visual person, too. Like, I can see, like this. That's a hilarious thing. I have no art skills whatsoever, but like I know what I want things to look like. Mm -hmm. Like I can visualize uh, the painting that I'd like to create. I just can't create the painting. Well, I mean, so yeah, I'm the same way, but 3d learning just like really basic 3d modeling has helped so much with that. Cause a lot of times there's so many free 3d models out there. So what I can mm -hmm. do is create like a little rough little set and it's like very simple. I'm not actually doing that much work and that alone will actually help me with like, well, you don't have to do this, but planning out shots and things like that. We're trying to draw, like 3D space is so difficult. I don't have to deal with perspective or any of those things. So in a lot of ways, like you could, it's almost like putting your little toys in a little space and like kind of giving a rough semblance of like, oh, this is no, what yeah, this yeah. environment would look like or things like that. There's um, what, what the, the best example I can give is that I have currently uh, playing a couple of different D&D &D campaigns. Mm. And like, I know exactly what I want my character to look like, but obviously I can't draw it. Yeah. But in the same sense that you you can use 3D modeling, uh, there's stuff like, again, not sponsored, just something I enjoy, uh, Hero Forge, which uh, allows you to create a, mm. like a, yeah. a miniature. They've also recently introduced coloring to your miniatures. So you can order them pre-colored. So I can oh. go in to their designer and just create the character that I want to create. And it's almost like um, like an RPG character builder kind of thing. Uh, you know what? Hold on. Let me just link you in the chat here, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, crap. Here is... Oh, there it is. So that's my D&D &D character right now, or at least, yeah, the, one of the campaigns I'm playing. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll just throw it up on the screen. But yeah, it's like that. That's uh, yeah. I can create whatever I want to out of it, and you know, this is what he looks like. Yeah, I played a little D and D actually, the beginning of the year. Uh, mm. Do you know what Avernus? Yeah, descending into Avernus. Yeah. So I was like, cool, I'm down. And then <laughs> once I started learning 3D animation, so I think I ended up yeah around June. I ended up having to drop out because I was like, hey, I was talking to my DM, like, hey, like, we've been doing this for a while now. It's been like four months. How much longer do you think we have to go? And she's like, oh, about a year. I'm like, oh, fuck. 
Oh uh, yeah, I want to get. I want to. Honest to God, I would hope for both of my campaigns to last for forever. But of course, that's not going to happen. But yeah. Well, as, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a newbie because I thought oh, it'll be like a four month uh, thing, whatever. And I'm like, oh, you thought there was an in. You thought there was an end point. Yeah. To it. I, I see. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that ain't. That is not how it works. Yeah. But then again, if you're not like. That's the best way to put it. If you're not, how how enjo- how much were you enjoying it? Is the better question. Well, okay. So for my party, I was playing with Jake. So Jake's still in the campaign, but they were heavy role play. So a lot of it mm. would just be them talking over in a set. And like I personally was more of like, come on, let's let's go. I was more in for like yeah, the story. different types of players. Yeah. So I'm definitely. Yeah. I think that was part of it. I mean, really, in the end, it was a time thing because it was like I yeah, had to set yeah. aside a whole Sunday night, um, every week. And I yeah. ended up being the one with like the least reliable schedule, so I was like, I'm not gonna screw everyone's. Experience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, scheduling is one of those things. Is like I'm, I'm pretty. <clears throat> what's the best way to put it? Uh, strict about when it comes to my games. So those if people mm-hmm. stop showing up, like they miss a couple of sessions and or even just a couple of sessions in a row, I'm suddenly like, Are you serious about this or not? Because yeah. I am. I'm gonna be there. Like I said, I will set an alarm and I will get up in, if if I have to, to do the thing that I said I was going to do at the time I said I was going to do it. That's that's who I am. But yeah, it's one of those scheduling is like, do you enjoy it or not? But to be completely fair, there are many different kinds of players also. Yeah. And so like if you're not if, if it, there's that's not an indictment against your DM. It's not an indictment against you if you don't fit together. Sometimes that's true. You just don't, you know, like this is a bunch of RP and that's fun. I like a little bit of that, but uh, I'm, I'd also like to get on with it, please. Yeah. Or so, I'm not that kind of person. I really do enjoy sitting down and having conversations. So, uh, yeah, I mean, different players, different DMs. You got to find the right game for you. Well, I had a really good DM. Um, it was actually the first, like, good. I, I did try Pathfinder, like, back in college, and then I tried doing a nah. D&D. Um, I think it was um, the vampire one. I forgot his name. Vampire the Masquerade. No, no, it was another one. He was like a hmm? almost like Dracula. Um, it's a, it's a oh Curse one. of Strahd. Yeah, Curse of Strahd, which is also supposed to be a horrible beginner <laughs> campaign. Um, I don't know. That doesn't seem like it would be bad for a beginner. It starts at level one. My DM was saying for a new DM, it's not good because oh that yeah, it's a super complex module. And we had a new DM, so that was really rough. And then I was like, eh, maybe I don't like D and D. But then I kind of realized, no, I just had two really bad games. Um, yeah yeah so that was like i actually enjoyed it but yeah definitely i could i i think jake was telling me and i agree with him i'd be better off with those like really short modules or it's just like four or five mm. sessions and that. oh yeah they have a yeah. set beginning and end yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i get what you're saying you want a story that begin. you want a story that ends then that's not really what dnd is about but you can get that out of some yeah. certain games well actually a fan reached out to me and jake and they actually made um an scp rpg like i think it was like two different oh yeah i've two nights. I, yeah that person's been on my server i think yeah but jake actually just played it like last week and he's like yeah it was actually pretty solid it was pretty good yeah i helped him a little bit with some of his design choices early on but he just kind of dropped off and i figured you know how projects are in the scp yeah. community well we just finished it so <laughs> mm, yeah. that's good so check it out Maybe it's a different. Maybe it's a completely different system. But I, I, I did talk to a guy who was working on SCP RPG and had it very well fleshed out. I think he modified another older, another system, or maybe created it from scratch. I don't remember. Hmm. But yeah, yeah, I remember him talking about like para. What was it? We were discussing the various skills, and he had like a big old list of skills, and it was like para this, para science, para that. I was like, why don't you just make it all one thing, yeah. rather than have it a bunch of separate stuff? That was like one of the few things I recall. 
Now, I recall a bunch of other stuff, too, but that's one of the major points I recall that I helped him with in this design. And yeah. I'm just happy there's more, like, SCP RPG stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's been around for a little bit, but I feel like only the past summer I really started hearing about, like, you could do the I mean, the thing is, is that like, oh, I'll say this. Fifth edition is a superior entry point. I, I'll like Pathfinder is fun, I guess, if you know the system. But like if you have a group of I don't know how many people, like six people and all but one of them know Pathfinder, you're better off teaching everybody fifth edition than teaching one person Pathfinder. Yeah, that's how much simpler it is. And so, like everyone, every time someone talks about Pathfinder, I just kind of like internally go, Pathfinder. <laughs> well, I feel like, like it's not a bad system, but it's just so complex. I feel like it was good for when it came out. Yeah. If everyone, if everyone knows Pathfinder, you're good. You're good and golden. But like I said, if even just one of your players does not know Pathfinder, you're going to think, oh, well, you know, let's make, let's teach them Path. No, it's so complex that you're going to be spending way more time than if you just said, does everyone get a D20? All right, we're good for fifth edition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a one, you know, it's a one sheet character sheet too. Like that little, that kind of stuff versus like four or five verse pages worth of character sheet. Oh, it's a confirm your criticals. What the, just. Dude, just play the game. God damn it. Um, I'm, I'm going to end talking about D&D because this is where my knowledge runs out. I'm a fraud. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm that's just fair. a newbie with it. I don't think I'm ever going to get super duper into it. I kind of just admire it from a distance. I feel like maybe when I retire, I'll do like a geriatric uh, D&D session every week. Hopefully you can just watch other people play D&D at this point. Like there's plenty of really good streams that you just watch if you really had the I'm free like, time. I'm weird. I can't watch people playing video games, like things like that. I'm very much like it's not really the same thing on D&D. Yeah. yeah. I always suggest to people critical role cuz that's sort of what got me back into it at, 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 at uh, in an adult sense. Yeah. Like, I played a little bit as a teenager, but as an adult I started watching Critical Role. And if you're going to watch it, I'd say start with Campaign 2 cuz in Campaign 1 they start in mid, sort of mid story and they're also uh converting their characters over from Pathfinder to 5th edition. Mm-hmm. By the time they finish campaign one, they've got a really good hold on it and the format and everything else. So starting with campaign two and campaign two is a brand new story with brand new characters. So it's just easier to start there. And it's a bunch of professional voice actors. So you can imagine the uh, oh, level wait, yeah. of quality. I have heard a little bit about this. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Uh, actually, that reminds me. So we played over quarantine online. So roll 20, like mm-hmm. not bad. Like, like if you have is easy. Or... Here's an interesting thing I've learned about Roll20. I find it very easy to use as a player. Mm -hmm. I have multiple times tried to figure out how to use it as a DM, and it is so unintuitive. It's such a difference between how it is for a player. It's weird. Which is like the commands, like how to put stuff in, like images. Yeah, how to get it to work at all. Like how any of that stuff works. It's like, I mean, I'm sure I could find some tutorials and I'm sure once I get into it, it would be like, oh, this is so easy. You know, it's one of those things. Like everyone's like, yeah. it's so easy. It's so easy when you already know how to do it. Yes. But it, when you don't and you're trying to learn it, it's like, it, ugh. Well, if you ever want to get back into it, one of my friends is like very proficient. She's like DM's multiple games on Roll20. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got plenty of people I could, <laughs> I've definitely got plenty of people I could ask to teach me how to do it. But that's one I'm always like to learn things on my own. Oh, yeah. I'm the but, um, opposite. You could, man, I've thought about running a simpler game because there's there's one literally one page rule sets. Mm-hmm. So like 
was it trash panda is it crash pandas is one of the game types hmm. where you play as a bunch of raccoons and uh, uh honey heist which is where you play as a bunch of bears and it's literally like maybe eight rules and wow. like you know okay. just roll this many dice and that's i wanted to play a honey heist game uh out of the set in the scp universe based off of uh the town that got fucked by bears because i thought that would be hilarious you should, you uh, should go through with that yeah I, like that. I was gonna i was gonna my idea is not only that but to bring in a bunch of uh scp youtubers and like play it's because it's a one you know, it's a one shot sort of still well i'm down it's like if you do yeah. it that'd be cool yeah but I've eh, I gotta get the time. I gotta get the people together. It's just like yeah. so much work. I know DMing is so much work. Even even with just a one like it's even just with a one page rule set, it's still so much work. Yeah, I envy those. I, I don't envy those people. It's like it's almost like a part time job, honestly. <laughs> yeah, Honey Heist is like you you just roll a die and it's like how bare are you or how criminal are you? That's literally <laughs> it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, like how, you doing it more as a bear? Or are you doing it more as a because it's a honey heist? That is, that okay. you're going to go steal something. That's cool. Like, are you more bear? Or are you more criminal? That, that's it. Literally, that's all. I'm down. I'm like really intrigued with this. I didn't know like because I've heard of like um, ones where it's like, oh, it's Star Wars themed or like things like. Mm, that. Yeah, they've got some really simple systems that, that literally, like, like I said, they're called one page uh, mm-hmm. games. Where the entire rules like and honey heist you could fit a rule on half a page it's worth of like wow. yeah it's it's not a lot of rules i kind of like that yeah i'm very into like really simple almost like werewolf or i mean that's why i've been playing among us a lot just like really simple here, here yeah among concepts, us basic setup and that's it I mean, my I played some Among Us on my server a little while, but I've actually set yeah. things up with. Uh, we have a server role over on my server just because it's you know how it can be difficult to coordinate games with a bunch of people if yeah. you don't like plan it out properly. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to plan that. I'm not going to plan an Among Us game, so I'm literally just like ping everyone with the Among Us role and be like, "Hey, who's up for a game right now?" And That's if cool. we get enough people together, great. If not, eh. Has that like worked out? Because I've been like, we got one game like, the other day. Was like, oh, we should play with fans. I'm like. Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. One guy, interestingly enough, I think one guy joined our server specifically just to play when he found there was a game going on. <laughs> oh yeah. Because I, I I only play with voice too, because like it's yeah. silly. I, to, I, I've I've seen the game played with text only, and it doesn't make any sense to me. I haven't bothered <laughs> to see what that's like. Yeah, it's like it's a social game. You want to be able to hear people, and like some guy just shows up and was like, oh, "Okay, this is a new person," and, and then they started talking through the rules, and they're like, "Here's why I'm innocent." And I was like. And he was explaining like a legitimate like in-game rule that we hadn't considered, and I was like, "Okay, but it's de- definitely you." And he goes, "What?" <laughs> and like for the longest oh. t- for the longest time afterwards, he was just like, and he, and we got him. It was him, and he was like, "You got it right, but you got it right for the wrong reasons." And I'm like people forget, it's not just it's not just logic. It's no. not just logic and evidence. It's a social game. Yeah. If it it. it how you speak and how you defend yourself and like why you're doing it matters even if you say something perfectly logical you can still give yourself away i know like for me because i usually play with my my close friend groups that are local we almost don't even bother with all the like technical aspects we just know Mm. oh i have been friends with them since high school so it's like oh that's oh that person does that thing when they're lying so then we'll play mind games or like when we're innocent, yeah, yeah. we'll act like we're lying just so like 
for the few games that one were an imposter, we, you know, like to, to kind of throw people. Yep, it's the meta. Yeah, yeah, we had that. Way. I, I realized that because I only played one, like, I don't know how many. It was like a couple of dozens of games worth mm-hmm. in one session. But I got the sense that, like, two things. First of all, my hunches are usually right. Mm-hmm. I can't always explain why I'm right, but oftentimes I'm right about who it is and isn't. But they're not always right. So yeah. there are there were games where we lost because I was like, I know it's you. And I was wrong. Um, but yeah, so it's it's there's a lot of the, it's a lot of a lot of learning about how the game functions. And then people would I would literally explain to people because they, they demand to know. And I realized maybe I should stop explaining to people how I figured out how they lied because because <laughs> people would do the same things again. Um, but just slightly differently to throw me off the trail eventually. Yeah. Yeah, so. No, keep it yourself. That's like a card of your sleeve. I, I can never tell people. Well, you know how it is, though. Like I said, when you're playing, like, you figure it out. They're like, how did you know? And yeah. if you don't tell them, they're like, you just got lucky. I'm like, no, I didn't get lucky. That was skill. And then afterwards, I'm like, and then I just gave away my advantage. Fantastic. I just say, you were sus. <laughs> I just keep saying You were that. sus. <laughs> Yeah, my nephew uh, has been. He doesn't play Among Us, I don't think, but he's been watching a lot of videos of it. So now every time I see him, I just I pick out whatever shirt color he's wearing and go, "Yeah, purple's kind of sus today." I think I saw you vent, and he's like, "He goes, do you play Among Us?" And I'm like, "Sometimes." We still have a running joke that like, "Oh, Mingy vented." We'll just like that, that's my friend's Mingy. So like halfway through the game, we just go like, "Mingy vented, Mingy vented," and like meanwhile he's like dead already or some shit. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those things too. I had a game, one of the games I was playing, I was like alone. It was like an 8v1. I was just because we were, we were fine tuning the rule set originally. And like, oh boy, that was, that was rough. I think I killed five people before they finally got me out. But yeah, still, that's not bad. Nah, yeah, it was, well, it was a bunch of new players too. Not all new players, but it was a bunch of new players too. So. But eventually, it was just a matter of time before someone was like, hey, I saw you going in this direction. And I'm pretty sure it's you. And I'm like, I got nothing. You know, yeah. it's some, you just you just you give up and you're like, fuck it. I'm, I'm done. I uh, I'm enjoying it while it lasts. I know, like I play Fall Guys for a little and that's like off the planet now. I feel like no one plays that as nearly. Yeah, that, Fall Guys fell off. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm wordsmith. <laughs> that's what I do. Well, okay, so Halloween, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a big Halloween guy. Do you have, like, any... Uh... I'm more of a Christmas guy. Oh, yeah, that's a well, second favorite. But uh, do you have any, like, big Halloween movies or, like, books or stories that people should read? Uh, no. The, the answer is actually just straight really? up out of that. I, I uh, yeah, nah. Like, even I've got the Nightmare Before Christmas poster on my wall over here. Spoiler alert, I've never seen that movie. Bruh. I just, wow. I just got something. Yeah, I just got something that would uh, fit the motif of an it's SCP channel. Movie. I mean, I really... It is, I know. I want to replace... I've been wanting to replace that poster ever since I got it. It was supposed to be temporary. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't... I wanted to replace it with an SCP poster and I haven't found the right one for it yet. I know Toad King makes a couple decent ones. Last time I There are a bunch. Of, and then that's the thing. Yeah. I should say, I haven't... Like, I see a bunch of them. And I'm like, I want that one and that one and that one. And I can't pick. Yeah. And so I'm still stuck with this fucking thing. Uh, not that it's a bad poster. It fits and it's nice, but yeah, I don't know. Christmas, I like Christmas a lot. And I know that's a Christmas E movie, but it's a Halloween-y too. And I don't dislike Halloween. I really do enjoy this time of year, just in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. 
because uh, I really love the holidays, but eh, I've never been a huge Halloween guy. I was kind of like always into the weird dead things growing up. So <laughs> it's like the only time of year where it's like, oh, my interests are everywhere. So I just as an SCP writer, some people are always surprised to hear this, but I'm not a big fan of horror. Yeah, that's right. Like it, it doesn't like it doesn't excite me in any way. So it's just like, eh, whatever. I will say I hate slasher films, and most people think slasher films when I say I like horror. So mm. it's like an no, I'm not necessarily thinking of. It's all horror, even good like the good psychological stuff is just like eh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just saw Annihilation recently. I don't know if you've seen mm. that. Which one is that one? With uh, fuck, what's her name? She was um, Padme in Star Wars. Uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, so Natalie Portman's the main uh. Oh maybe. right, that's an SCP-ish sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I remember the trailers and the uh, reviews for it. I'd say it's more like a thriller, kind of Lovecraftian horror. But that was like probably the most like cool. This would be like an SCP film, like a hundred percent. So I'd recommend. There'll never that. be a real SCP like no. movie. Yeah. Well, there'll be a fan. They'll probably, I imagine, at some point in the future. Maybe it's the animated film. Yeah. I think oh it's yeah. Realistic, only because you don't need to pay for a million dollars set and all that shit. But. I've said it before, and, I'll, and I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Not to say anything bad about your actors you've had great actors on, mm-hmm. but having it as an animated thing means your quality level will be higher on the acting. Because yeah, there's you no excuse on my side. Pick and choose a lot yeah. Like, that's on me, then, at that point. Um, yeah. No pressure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's on, yeah, it is on you. You're like... <laughs> You can be like, uh, no, this sucks. Let's do it again. Do it this way. Yeah. So. Instead of, oh, well, we're losing light. Uh, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. It's like no more excuses. No more, no more, uh, no more things. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. I mean, like, yeah. obviously don't fall into the perfectionist trap, but you yeah. can get close. I try to keep the, uh, I'm sure you heard this, the 80% mindset. Mm. So it's basically like, do, don't do your best best, do your 80% best. And then basically, because usually by the point to get it up that next 20%, it usually takes way more time and way more nonstop, never ending, like, oh, I could fix this or I could yeah, add yeah. this. And you should just kind of cut it off at that point. It's better because I'm much more like balancing between quality and quantity where it's like I'd much rather have like five good films than one great film that probably wasn't even great because I spent so long not creating anything else. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, you'd rather, I'd rather have uh well let's see I'd rather have the Avengers than uh Justice League Snyder cut because I mean like if you give somebody an extra seventy million dollars and three extra years they're probably gonna be able to come out with something probably gonna be able to come out with something good I'm sure Avatar's I'm guessing great. what's that <laughs> I'm sure Avatar is gonna be great Avatar too hmm. It's just one of those. Like, I, I saw, did you see that? They're throwing seventy million dollars at Justice League. No, like, I thought that was dead in the water. I, I thought that was the no. The one. Snyder cut. Yeah, no, that's a real thing now, for real. They're, and they're throwing seventy million dollars at it from reshoots and such. Man, when will DC learn? I don't Never. know. <laughs> I'm so angry. It's <laughs> like, and I, I'm not, I have no right to be angry. It's their money. But who is in? Who? You know, filmmaking at this point is an investment. Yeah. It's not. It's not really so much a create. I mean, it is a creative endeavor, but it's really an investment opportunity. Yeah. Right. It's very similar. Who? Well, here you go. Yeah. Sorry, I'm in a rant now. Who looked at Justice League? Right. 
a movie that cost upwards of $400 million to make, which brought in just under 700, uh, no, just a little bit over $750 million, right? And said to themselves, yeah, that's a movie I'd like to throw more money at. Yeah, let's throw... A lot of people don't realize if it doesn't make like double the money, it's usually considered a flop in Hollywood. It is. Yeah. No, that lost that, that in the initial run, that almost certainly lost money because the theaters get it cut out of the it, it's a whole thing. And not just not to mention that, that it's not really even counting the massive marketing yeah. uh, that they had to put behind that movie, which was huge. It was everywhere. Yeah. And then you I, was, I did this on Twitter. I said, and then you make Deadpool for was it fifty eight million dollars, mm-hmm. and it made eight hundred and fifty million dollars. Yep. Exactly. The fuck is wrong with these people? Just stop it. Just stop it. Look, uh, I mean, I know some people who invest money into movies, and they're not like film people at all. They're like, mm. that seems cool. I want to be known as the guy who puts money into that. I want to be the next. Oh, yeah. Get your producer game. credit. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's literally that those are the kind of people that usually throw money into, stuff, into films. So if you yeah. just say, hey, we're making Justice League, they're like, sure. You know, I mean, I guess you can find them. But I'm sure there are smart investors, oh, too, are. as well. Totally, probably yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying there's so many of those that you can like kind of grab them. Seventy million dollars for this. I'm like, if they, yeah, if you, I don't, I think if you gave, even though I know fucking nothing about filmmaking, if you gave me three extra years and seventy million extra dollars, I could make you a Justice League movie. So, I don't understand why you need Zack Snyder for anything. I, I feel like he's just like really good friends. It's a lot of it is just like, oh, I know. Yeah. The, <laughs> well, he's, he, he has very bro energy. Like that's all. I'm saying. I've actually never seen him talk. I just assume that because of like everything he's made. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's very bro energy about him. Um, yeah. When he was talking about Superman, about how like if you if you think Superman doesn't kill people, you don't know Superman. I'm like, this motherfucker or Batman doesn't kill people in oh, Batman yeah. v Superman. Mm-hmm. It's his his weapons and car kill people. The car that he's driving <laughs> kills people and his weapons kill people. Okay, I don't think you understand how death works, which is fine, I guess. Or I should say, I don't think you understand how killing works, but cool, 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 cool. I mean, even like in like the Dark Knight or some of the Batman comics, it's like, okay, that's kind of stretched. This guy's like not walking again. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is that like, <laughs> I think in some, in some sense, the amount of like they should do. I don't know if they have or they probably have DC's not DC comics, I should say, not DC movies, but DC yeah. comics are actually pretty good about this kind of stuff. But they should do some stories about how like <laughs> Gotham City probably has a much higher disabled population. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, and these are already people who are like not particularly well off. Yeah. So it's yeah, they are. And they're already having financial issues because they're fucking criminals. And now they also have to deal with the fact that they can never walk again. So or 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 a CTE story about the guy who's just gone up against Batman too many times. And now he has CTE like that. I mean, and I laugh about it. Those are very serious issues. But like being able to do those stories is fun. I mean, I'm just thinking now, like Batman's basically like a burden to the state. He is. Everyone's he on really like, is. Now and all that, like, know? yeah, you need him against Joker and the Riddler, these big criminals who apparently Gotham PD can't do fuck all, fuck all about. But like the average thug, instead of taking them in and just he beats them up first. Like, no. Um, 
What do you think of the new Batman film, though? Well, that's one with Robert Patterson, I think, yeah. they're working on. I don't know about DC anymore. Like, their but, best movie that came out was, what, Wonder Woman, and it was only okay. I like Joker. Like, for what? I mean, but it's not set in the same universe. It's it's a standalone it's movie. It's still DC. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're talking about when we say, I know you're, I know you asked about DC, yeah. but when people ask about DC, what they're really usually the asking about is the cinematic universe. Well, so and I, whilst. Is the new Batman in that universe, though? Yeah. I thought he was going to So, okay. Flashpoint. They're, are you familiar with Flashpoint in the DC, in the DC comics? It's essentially a universe. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna very simplify it here. It's essentially a universe wide uh, reset based on uh, the Flash running so fast he travels back in time. Oh wait, I've heard about this like a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, he saves uh, he saves his mom and uh, ca- causes a bad future instead of what he thought it would. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, that's the reason why the fl- the Flash movie is gonna have, oh shit, what's his name? Michael Keaton, hmm. okay. uh, and uh, Ben Affleck and Robert Patterson's Batman's in it. Uh, okay. So what they're probably going to do to fix as many problems as they can is do like a m- m- timeline reset sort of thing. Hmm. So your theory is basically that uh, Robert Pattinson is. The time flash, time point, alternate. I would guess. Cause, I mean, they ha- they've already announced the Flashpoint mo- that that fl- the Flash movie is going to be Flashpoint, and it's going to have all three of those Batman actors in it. Hmm. There's no reason for you to put the original, like from the old school Batman, Michael Keaton, uh, and Ben Affleck, and Robert Patterson in your movie if you're not doing that. Personally, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't. Well, hopefully, it's like Joker kind of woke some people up. And if they're doing an alternate thing, they're gonna go for a completely different style, like directing style and all that. So like, I mean, yeah. And also, they could do three Jokers, which is another DC comic storyline where there's literally three Jokers. Yeah. I mean, this is like three different aspects. So one of them's a little bit more violent. One of them's a little bit more. One of them's a little bit more silly, Mm -hmm. like a Cesar Romero old and. 1960s batman sort of guy and then one's more of the like media like one's more of the heath ledger-ish mm. okay doesn't have to wear the tattoo on his forehead that's fucking says oh, damaged on, on it no, to understand no, no, no. that he's Jared Leto. yeah maybe it was a good i don't know if he was good or bad there wasn't enough of him to know like that's just I mean, a badly a ed- heard look you know this nice. you watch this that was a badly edited movie the, the I script was terrible. I, I oh, you have so many reviews of how badly edited it was, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Like, the script was... This is the funny part. You have a bunch of really good actors doing their best mm-hmm. with a terrible script. Yeah. And then after the terrible script, it's edited together, like, by a bunch of, tr- to be fair, movie trailer people. Yep. Mm-hmm. DC DC missed the memo on the difference. I, I, I did a video on this recently, but DC missed the memo on the difference between moments and story. Like you can create some really cool moments mm-hmm. and vis- especially visually. But if you don't have any kind of, if they don't interconnect, if there's no interconnective tissue to create a story out of them, then all you have are a bunch of moments. It's the difference between, and I, I use this exact example of Zack Snyder's 300 Mm. which is essentially just a collection of really cool moments with a very simple story that has a through line for it and works because of that. And fucking Batman V Superman or justice league, 
which I'd say Batman v Superman is a better example. Justice League is a bad movie for a variety of reasons, but Batman v Superman is a trash fire. It's it's really bad. It's it's it takes bad and says, no, you know what? I'm going to one up you and just continues down that line. And Suicide Squad is even worse. Really? I didn't know it was considered even worse. I don't know if everyone would consider it even worse, but I personally consider it. I mean, like they even mess up the basics of the callback. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you know, the the, the rule of threes when you're going to do a thing, you set it up, you remind the audience and then you pay it off. Yeah. Right. This guy's got a fucking uh, Captain Boomerang. He keeps a, a pink unicorn. In his, uh, you probably even saw it in one of the trailers. He keeps a pink unicorn in one of his uh, uh, sides of his coat, mm-hmm. and it shows up. It shows up again, and then he gets stabbed in that exact location. And you think that's going to be the payoff? Obviously, like if, if a person who understands story is going to be like, "Oh, okay, I know where they're going with this." Like and then he opens it up, thing. and it's a bunch of money uh, with, with no, with no setup. <sighs> and you know, in your brain, you're like, "Okay, there were two versions of this joke, right?" They filmed two versions of this joke oh, that so probably the setup for other. that version. It was on the cutting room floor, but they. Ugh. I'm just I'm so angry with that movie. It's so bad that you can't if you can't even do a callback. Right. What What are you doing? Like, anyway, I, I, there's I definitely get a weird thing now where like a lot of movies I love nowadays. If they just have really clean, tight writing, that alone will make me love the film. Mm. I've had some where like it's a good movie it has tight writing but I end up loving it and think it's a great movie while my friends are like oh it was good but I'm like oh you don't understand like it was so well written though and like the way it was paced and structured like things like that Mm -hmm. really adds like a nice little cherry on top for me yeah this is Katana she's got my back I advise not getting killed by her her sword traps the souls of its victims that's a character introduction yeah is that exposition it is yeah it's my it's my least favorite character introduction ever this is why i'm grateful that i'm a visual thinker because i (laughs) it's hard for me to write in dialogue it's much more easy for me to tell things visually so oh yeah yeah i'm like i have it's almost like harder for me to do exposition just by like oh let me just explain the story or things like that well, exposition is, ne- is a necessary evil in writing, but yeah, like def- the way it's handled is important, you know? It's how you do it. Like, yeah. Look, some of my favorite films have tons of exposition in the beginning. Like, there's a good way to do it. Oh, yeah, and if you look at old movies, like the really older movies, they usually would have, like, a scroll at the beginning. Yeah. Like, the, the Star Wars thing, by the time Star Wars came out, that wasn't really a thing anymore. Yeah. So it was kind of a... Th- it was a... <laughs> It's funny to think of it like this, but that was a throwback to the old style of movies where they would have a scroll come in and be like, so-and-so is working as a newspaper editor and blah, 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 blah. And he is, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And he just got married yesterday. And so, and then it's like, okay, and you get, you get the backstory in your head already. Yeah. And then they open up on this guy and you know who he is. I they don't do that lot, anymore. Like the twenties, especially when like mm. audio still was just coming in. You'd still get a lot yeah. of that, like, just a page of exposition in the beginning. Yeah. I think even, uh, what's it called, uh, one of the more famous examples, I think that happens in um, uh, The Wizard of Oz. Oh, does it? I actually don't remember. I haven't seen the movie in so long. I, 
it's yeah it's been a really long time since i've seen it but i've i've i have a in my brain i'm like i recall at least like a little not a whole wall of it but at least like you know a little bit of exposition because like if you realize it starts off yeah yeah if you realize it starts off it's like there's there's some backstory to it because like the the lady or, or her dog bit the lady and like that's the impetus for the story so they're like a little bit a little bit of who these people are first i know uh Oh, fun fact, I met one of the Oompa Loompas when I was a kid. <laughs> so, it's the one that hands the lollipop to the Oompa Loompa that hands the lollipop to Dorothy. So, fun fact. Uh, that had to be an interesting set to be on. Yeah, he had some pretty neat stories. I mean, basically, he said it was, like, the most, like, really lovable, friendly set. Because a big part was because there were so many other, like, fellow midgets on the so mm-hmm. they really kind of ended up bonding together after that movie and kind of creating a little like um actor community for like people who are special needs which was like oh it's actually really wholesome considering the 50s you know i feel like if especially for a midget um or dwarf i think, sorry, I think you mean I don't know, little people right yeah dwar- I, I don't know the right term. i think midgets actually not good I yeah it's really for little people so i think it's little people pretty sure it's little people yeah all right i'm gonna i'm gonna say little people sorry guys um but that was cool was like they were able to kind of create a community in the 50s or especially like all they could get were just like playing weird children like stunt doubles um or doing like leprechauns and elves mm-hmm. and, like yeah you know so god when people say that that, that about elves in my brain i'm like that's not an elf, <laughs> yeah, not I, elf. I, I think of the lord of ring one too How's quarantine for you? I feel like it's got to be pretty easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nothing's really changed that, in your end. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Not, not difficult. The like, I, I'd, I'd already already mostly been quarantined before, so it wasn't a huge deal. Are you guys still, like, locked down? Uh, I mean, this is Alabama. I go out. I mean, I, there's a convenience store across the street. I go out there every once in a while and get something to eat with a mask on, and I'm the only person with a mask on. Yeah. Cannot relate. <laughs> yeah where are you at i'm in new york so like right yeah okay so, yeah so people who mm-hmm. not only are there more rules about it but also people actually follow those rules because if they don't they you know actual things will happen to them i mean we just there's a like, i'm pretty sure we're under a mask mandate but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't you wouldn't know yeah that's right no yeah i mean things i mean that's understandable there's literally like over a million people where i live so yeah i mean yeah it makes a huge amount of sense yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't. I technically don't even live in a fully rural area. I do live in rural Alabama, but it's real close to the suburbs slash city. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, we and we live in the count in a county that has. We I live in the same county that Birmingham, Alabama, is in. So it's not like okay. we live out in the middle of nowhere. From nowhere, I've been to the parts of nowhere of Alabama. Those yeah. are fun. Yeah. Like what? what took a trip up to took a trip up to Winston County one time, and the bank across the street from City Hall had the big, like, a huge Confederate flag. And the funny part, now, now, see, that's funny on an, in and of itself, like the fact cliche. that they put that up there. But there's something that you don't know that makes it even funnier, and it's the same problem that I have with West Virginia being like uh, Confederate pride oh. and everything. It was like a Union Bank or something. Winston, no, Winston County seceded from the Confederacy to stay with the Union. I never knew that. I didn't know that was a thing, like in Alabama. Yeah. 
it's I, I think it may I don't know if it happened elsewhere, but I know it happened here and it happened in that county. And so I go in and City Hall at the big the at the capital of that county mm-hmm. across the streets, this giant ass Confederate flag. And I'm like, I don't I don't think that works here. I think <laughs> I mean, I know it's it's kind of rural in the middle of nowhere, but also it's like what like I said, it's like West Virginia, which split off from Virginia. That's why it's West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> during the during the civil war because they wanted to stay with the union and then like now people living in west virginia like and that damn war of northern aggression it was your war you were part of that (laughs) like it's literally not your heritage oh my god it's rough but uh and then yeah i know yeah that's a whole and then the whole thing with mississippi like they literally have it in their state flag I don't so think they, they do anymore. They I think took they it just down. changed it, yeah. For like for like years, yeah, yeah. for a while they did. Um, oh man, now I'm I mean, at this off. point, technically, it is heritage, but it's not as big of heritage as they think it is. It started in like the 1950s and 60s, the Confederate flag as we know it today. It's not oh, yeah, from it's the not Civil War. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is from the Civil War. They did adopt a thing from the Civil War, it but like it wasn't used. Or something? I forget, like... It's the it's a, a rough approximation of the uh, battle flag of Virginia, I believe. Oh, okay. like it also showed up in various other locations, but it was never the the flag we're talking about was never the official flag of the Confederacy. <laughs> I don't believe. Closest they came to having they they had a bunch of fucking official flags. They couldn't decide. Which was all right, because yeah. who the fuck cares about what they wanted to have as a symbol? But <laughs> I think they, they uh, the very first flag of the Confederacy was uh, a flag that was used in the early 1800s by the Republic of West Florida, which was a real thing. <laughs> oh, man, the Republic of That's- West Florida. <laughs> Wait, like tried to secede, basically, and then just the middle. No, no, no. This was okay. Uh, in the early 1800s, late teen, late 1700s, oh, uh, no. there was a deal. Spain used to own Florida, yeah. uh, and a bunch of uh, English settlers came down and settled in uh, what's right now the Panhandle of Florida. Mm-hmm. And they thought that they were going to. First of all, they seceded from the spanish colony and then we're like we're gonna join the join the union and the union was like nah brah we're just gonna be florida we want the whole thing yeah those but yeah there was a and there was for a brief period of time a republic of west florida and it had its own flag and the confederacy used that flag uh early on first i don't know if they just stole it if it was like do they just like cool design let's use that uh, but they did hmm. there was no, no, nothing relating them together it just I, they just decided just remember, to use like, it uh, the one i see the, saw the most that's like most accurate it's mostly white um yeah there's like a almost fully white flag which yeah. didn't work for obvious reasons <laughs> yeah. in a battle in the 1800s they not not the smartest people in the world apparently yeah let's let's use a white flag as our yeah no that doesn't guess what happens when you put a white flag flag then like (laughs) i don't yeah and you think it'd be like oh that's good for like as someone i said that one time before and someone's like oh it'll be good for tricking the other side into thinking you surrendered first of all it's a war crime today anyway and second of all second of all in uh in older wars like that, not World War One or World War Two, even in World War One and World War Two, if you think your side is surrendering, you tend to give up. Yeah, <laughs> which was a problem for the Confederacy. 
Oh man, it's the Civil War. That's a fu- that's a fun topic. <laughs> the so only way talking about with people who like grew up in the South, because for me up here, it's uh, just yeah. like whatever. No one really cares about it that much. Right. I mean, New York City has a strong history of thing. I mean, like the events of the Civil, like the draft riots in New York City. Oh yeah, that's what, right. Yeah, yeah. no, I, that was um, wasn't that yeah. part of a, uh, the gangs in New York? They kind of talk about that. Oh yeah, it wasn't gangs. Yeah. yeah, but that was a real thing that happened. That wasn't made up. That was a real thing that happened. I'm really rusty. I mean, like I think of like a lot of more revolutionary war stuff here because we have like the battle. Of the oh war yeah, yeah. Because you guys were occupied, right? Yeah, Long Island was occupied. Then they came from Long Island, then Manhattan. Um, and basically, right, yeah. there's a whole, there's a lot of cool spy stories on Long Island. And yeah, USA. yeah, I would imagine. They started with Boston. That was the in like the beginning. They they basically occupied Boston before the war even started. Yeah, okay, and then, yeah, yeah, and then uh, the New York was like the next target, I guess. Mm-hmm. They hit the biggest of cities that they possibly could. You're also the New York was also the capital of the U.S. Yeah, for one. a little yeah. while there in the beginning. Yeah, I think yeah. it was New York, then Philly, then D.C. There was a deal made. What was the deal? What was yeah. the deal made? They moved it to Washington, D.C. They made it out of Virginia and Maryland as a deal for the South. But what was it the South gave up and returned? Oh, right. National Bank. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. The Southern state, the Northern states. Oh, God. We're doing history yeah, lessons, apparently. <laughs> but, okay. So, the Southern states owed, uh, owed, there was, there was, it, it, it's not important who owed what. The important part is that the states independently held debt. Yeah. Right. The federal government didn't hold any debt. And since they didn't hold any debt, they weren't really able to get any credit. It's complicated the way that system works. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that the all the states would basically give up their debt to the U.S. government and the U.S. government would collectively own all of the debt instead. And so they would you know, they wouldn't have to pay that money back, which would be a good thing. But also they'd owe technically money and they would be as a union and be like, Hey, we want to leave the union. Like, well, you can't leave the union because mm-hmm. all everything's, you know, whatever. And the South was so not on board with that. And the deal was made. I think it, I'm always bad with names. I'm great with stories, but I'm bad with names. I think it was Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton who were uh, strong opponents politically yeah. made a deal uh, to basically say, all right, fine, but we want the capital. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so they put it in the South. Hamilton wanted the bank. That was his idea. That's yeah, it was. Idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never watched Hamilton or the, I should watch it on Disney plus at some point. Cause I really want to see that, but uh, I haven't quite gotten around to it. It's, it's the, the funny part is this is interesting. <laughs> I'm a huge history nerd in case you haven't yeah. been able to tell. Um, so the funny part about Hamilton becoming as popular as it is, is that all this stuff that I'm telling you is no longer as esoteric of knowledge. Yeah, no, yeah. So I don't I get know. to be like, hey, I bet you didn't know. Mm-hmm. It's more like everyone, like half of people are like, yeah, I, I saw that on Hamilton too. And I'm like, no, it's not. Okay, fine. <laughs> like Hamilton I used to love to tell them. still like blows yeah. my mind. It just seems like it doesn't like, work on paper. Like, yeah, I know, right? Uh, I've watched. I've, I will say I've, I've listened to a couple of their uh, couple of the music uh, musical numbers. Uh, it's my f- the one that I really really enjoyed was uh, the King George one. Oh yeah, that's um, yeah. The you'll be back. Yeah, that's it. But uh, the Aaron Burr shooting Alexander Hamilton thing used to be like a fun anecdote yeah. that nobody knew about, mm-hmm. and now everyone knows. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I need. Now I need. Now I need to have an actual personality. Well, God okay, damn it. One, one thing that. A lot of people don't know and the show doesn't go into is that um 
especially near the end of his life or right after the war, Hamilton was very still into the idea of a monarchy and wanted George mm -hmm. to be a yep. king. John Adams was pretty close on that too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I feel like no one ever really talks about that. And I think that's really interesting. Alexander Hamilton is, I will say this, uh, he did a lot of the stuff for this, making this country work, but also he wasn't exactly a great person. No. And there was a lot of things that he wanted that were not good for the, wouldn't have been good for the Republic. And think, I, I say this knowing that Thomas Jefferson has its own baggage, of course, but thank God Thomas Jefferson was there to be an opposition. I, I will say the interesting this is the thing, this is so reflective of current politics too, is that like, even though Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson essentially fucking hated each other and disagreed on every issue, when it came down to it, they still respected each other. Mm -hmm. And that was very important for the founding fathers. Because this is the thing. All the founding fathers knew each other really well. They'd known each other for years. So when Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson were competing to be, you know, who's going to be president and who's not going to be president because of the fucked up system we used to have. It used to be whoever got the most electoral votes was president. And then whoever got second most electoral yeah, votes was vice president. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the uh, until they, they amended the Constitution. But um, so Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr. And again, I don't know how much of this is in Hamilton or in Hamilton. Yeah. In Hamilton or not. But Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson both got equal numbers. It was supposed to be one of the electors was supposed to not vote for Alexander Hamilton. They were running together as a ticket. And one of the electors was supposed to not vote for a Hamilton. So that they not Hamilton. Uh, Burr, Burr yeah. was not supposed to vote for Burr. It was, it was a Thomas Jefferson Burr ticket. And he didn't do that. He voted for Burr anyway, so they had an equal number of electoral votes. And when that happens, when there's no one has a clear majority, it goes to the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. And the House of Representatives, each state gets a vote in the House, rather than so the whole collective delegation makes a vote. Yeah. And Alexander Hamilton had a choice: throw it to Aaron Burr or throw it to uh, Thomas Jefferson. He had the basically the power as part of the Federalist Party. And uh, what ended up happening was he had the quote that sticks with me to just demonstrate that respect for your opponents is important. He said, I'd rather have a man with the wrong principles than a man with no principles. Because hmm. Aaron Burr was a jackass. <laughs> like he was willing to do and say anything to get power. And everyone knew it. Hmm. And so it was like the funny part was he was ostensibly an ally of Alexander Hamilton and his party. Like he agreed more, way more with him than he did with Thomas Jefferson, but also he was a shit bag. So he's just huh, like, yeah, no, never knew that. we're not doing that. I didn't know that was the reason. I mean, he'll go on to shoot him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was a whole other thing, man. Aaron Burr's life that they should make a move. They should have made just, they should have made it about Aaron Burr's life. Cause he's a shit bag, but it's so interesting. And, what happened after he lost that governor governor election? Because the whole point of the duel was Alexander Hamilton wrote basically a scathing editorial about Aaron Burr, mm -hmm. and Aaron Burr was like, "I'm going to duel you for it." And then they, you know, did the did the thing, threw away the shot, whatever, <laughs> the actual Hamilton stuff. But then afterwards, Aaron Burr went into the West and tried to raise an army Why? and okay, build his own country. This. Right? Yeah, I never knew about this. <laughs> He went into the West and tried to build an army, and he actually was put on trial eventually for treason based on the fact that he tried to overthrow the government of the United States and build his own country. 
I never knew like about Aaron Burr. Yeah, right. This. So yeah, he kills Alex. So this is this is the the jump off because he has a whole life before this, which is really interesting too. But that's mostly intertwined with the other founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton, et cetera, et cetera. But after he kills Hamilton, he loses the governorship, or he he was governor. No, no, no. He was vice president at the time. We I know that for sure. I don't have to think about that. So he was vice president. He Thomas Jefferson said, "Fuck you." Because they were running together the last time around. And then when instead of going, no, 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 Thomas Jefferson is president. That was a mistake. You shouldn't have that elector should have not, you know, whatever. He goes, no, 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 I should be president. And so Thomas Jefferson, the second time around, was like, yeah, go fuck yourself. You're not my vice president this time around. I don't know. And um, so he's like, fine, I'll run for governor of New York. <laughs> and he loses horribly because everyone's like, hey, you're the guy that killed Alexander yeah. Hamilton, right? Hamilton was hugely popular, not just with his party, just in general in New York. Yeah, I mean, that's his and, town. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was his town. And so afterwards, he loses the governorship and he has nothing. And he just, <laughs> he didn't get convicted of treason. He came pretty damn close. He was working with a general. I can't remember the, in the name of the general at all, but he was working with a general who basically turned him in and was like, cause he was like, he was working with him for a while. And then the general was like, you know what? I just realized this is treason. That's probably not good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, man. They should do like a sequel. Just following yeah. like Iron Bear or someone else. That'd be really Aaron Burr has an interesting, uh, it's, he's a shit bag, but he has an interesting life story. Very, very interesting. I'm glad. I'm glad. Like we ended up on this. Uh, this is like the 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 cool fact of the week for me. Yeah. <laughs> look up. Yeah. Look up Aaron Burr. Read about his life. Like as as much fun and as much more of a. I, I still not a hero, but as much of more of a hero that Alexander Hamilton is. Mm-hmm. Aaron Burr's life is, I think, more interesting as a story. And yeah. so, and it's much less known as the other half of it. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing that people know about him is his interactions with everybody else. Yeah. Like his own independent life was interesting. Do you want to write a draft for a Broadway show? <laughs> I don't think I'm uh, quite to that point yet. I don't know if I, I, I don't, uh, maybe I will one day write a play, but I don't know. I'd rather, honest to God, I do enjoy writing, but I'd much rather just be an actor. <laughs> Yeah, like, really. I don't know. That's yeah, funny. I just it's yeah, it's the opposite of like other. So I'm sure there's plenty of actors out there like I, I wish I could you know do I want to create my own stuff yeah. and right and I, I still want to do that, but like I would love if most of my time was spent either acting or voice acting. Hmm. So yeah, like I would the one part I would I haven't got a chance to do it yet. One day I want to be Iago from Othello. That's my oh yeah dream uh dream role because huh. he's the original Joker. Like, really? like I, when they ask him, like, why did you do all these terrible things? He just goes, I don't fucking know, because I want to. He literally has in the monologue of the audience where he's like, or, not a monologue, but a uh, soliloquy to the audience. And he's like, you could say I'm doing I, I'm screwing over Othello because he's black. You could say that he's doing I'm doing it because he promoted uh, Cassius above, or yeah, Cassio above me. You could say that I'm doing it because I think that he fucked my wife. But the honest truth is. I don't really give a fuck. I'm doing it because I can. Hmm. And it's just that it's, I love the character so much. He is such a, like, I love shitbag characters because they are so interesting. I mean, yeah, no fury. It's a good example. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Um, it's a good example. I guess, I guess I write them sometimes though, but yeah. 
I mean, do you feel like it's because, like, with writing, you're kind of building and bringing something to life. Do you feel like acting is the next step of, like, bringing something to life? Or just the instance of it? I think it circles back to D&D a little bit, too, because Mm -hmm. I think the idea is you're creating a character, right? Yeah. Like, what's on the page is what's on the page. But when you embody, when you actually sit there and you're like, you stop for a second and you can just enter into the mind of the character that you want to play and react as they would react, it's it's pure somehow. Like, the text is the text. And... But three or four, you know, you could have five different actors playing a character and play them completely differently and play them very well and be engaging and interesting. Mm -hmm. That is in itself an act of creation. So I don't know. I enjoy that more than actually writing the words. I will write the word. I I write the words myself sometimes because it's easier for me to because I can't find necessarily find projects to be act in. So it's easier for me to just create my own projects at this point. But I would love if I could just do the thing. Yeah, I mean, I know we're a fa- for, literally for a fact we're gonna need voice actors for. An oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, thing. So I'm definitely gonna keep you in mind. Mm. I'll try to. That's why I'm you, uh, a shit bag. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my. It's why one of my favorite. Uh, well, not the shit bag thing, but one of my favorite roles uh, that I've done is. It's very short, of course, but was playing Dr. Ham in SCP-049 because nobody fucking recognizes me mm. in it, like, yeah. at all, unless I mention it to them. And I mention it all the time because I love it. <laughs> people are like, you love reminding people of that, don't you? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Did you know <laughs> I was Dr. Ham in SCP-049? But, uh, yeah, I love it because people don't know it's me, which means I've done, a, I've done the job I'm supposed to do as an actor. Yeah. Even though it's a small part, it's very – it's short – nobody recognizes me in it which means i fucking did it i did what i was supposed to do that's cool that's an interesting because i know some other actors were like they want it they want people to know it's them because it's like oh then but you do you you so do want people to know it's you but you want to have to tell them i i think personally you want them to have to be like wait really and then be like yeah it's me well i feel like there's if you want to really simplify it there's like there's character acting and then there's like um, main protagonist acting. So I feel like mm-hmm. with character acting, it's like I can blend into any. Uh, actually, no, it depends. Like some character acting is like I can blend into any role and you'll never recognize me. And then there's other character acting where it's I play one character and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. So I feel like that's like the two sides of the coin. You're definitely I feel like what you pride yourself on is like I could be anything and no one will know it's me. Um, I also feel like if I ever were to get it like heavily into acting, I'd probably be the you play one character type. Oh, really? Honest to God, because yeah. I just have a I have a personality and a voice that seems somewhat distinctive, I think. Personally, I think anyway. And it just feels like I would probably get pigeonholed into being a particular type of asshole. Probably, honestly, the way casting that works work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I would, but I would still do a little bit of stage work where I could fucking get my actual creative energies. Out. I mean, I personally love when you see an actor who always plays that one actor, and they're just doing something completely. Oh yeah, I love seeing. Yeah, and some people break out of their typecasting that way. Yeah. Like they'll do something that it's really successful and like really like outside the realm of what they're known for, and suddenly they're like, oh, this person can, you know, what's his name? Um, Brian Cranston, great example. Yeah. Used to be the silly comedic dad after uh, Malcolm in the Middle, and he played that kind of character in other stuff. And then he does Breaking Bad, and suddenly he's no longer that character. He's whatever the fuck you need him to be. Yeah. Um, I feel like Robert Pattinson 
with Lighthouse is a great example of that too. I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this: I haven't watched. I don't think I've watched, watched Robert Patterson in anything, but I know what you're talking about, regardless, because like, yeah, I've I've seen. Yeah. yeah. All that. Yeah, I've never watched him in anything, but I've I've heard people talk about how he's a brilliant actor. I've heard this about uh, what's his face, um, Hayden Christensen, and like the few things really? he did that weren't Star Wars. That he was that. actually a really good actor, but like he only did a That's few. A I mean, he's only, I should say he's still an active actor, but he's only done a few other things of note. Oh, I thought he retired. But the few did he fully retire? I think he did for at least a little bit. I know for a fact he. I don't know if he ever got back into it, but I know like there was a point where he did retire. Yeah, but he's definitely done other stuff, and the yeah. other stuff has apparently been much, much. Well, I mean, look at the script he had to work with. But regardless, yeah, I mean the fact that you had all these like A list actors, and they all came off like bad B movie actors. You know, you had Liam yeah. Neeson. You know, there's a problem, right? Yeah, you know, it's like it's, that's my Suicide Squad problems because like. These are these are really good actors who are really embodying the role that they're playing mm-hmm. as best as you can expect them to, and then they're like having to say stupid shit yep. like all the time. I mean, uh, I forget his name, the guy who played Count Dooku, but like he has like Christopher the, Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee is like an amazing actor. He's done mm-hmm. a huge range of so many different types of. Uh, um, I think well, I forgot the movie. It's a good Halloween movie, but he's in like a vampire film. Um, oh yeah he plays as a vampire uh it's probably one of them dracula-ish movies it's old but like that's a good one for people now's the time watch it my favorite anecdote about christopher lee is the uh the lord of the rings one where they're like uh we're gonna okay so this guy is it's a deleted scene it doesn't show up in the actual movies Mm -hmm. but you can see it in deleted scenes online if you really wanted to and i'm sure people who own the box set that's probably there somewhere but um so they're like Wormtongue's gonna stab you in the back, and and he they do the scene, and he's oh. like, and uh, Peter Jackson, yeah, you know this, you know the story. Peter Jackson's like, that's not what that should sound like. You should need to sound like this, and he's like, no, no, no. that's what a person sounds like. When they get <laughs> yeah. back. What do you do? With the, what? How do you answer that? You're just like, cool, okay, yeah. Well, Moving on. I think like we got actually. You know what? I think we got it actually. Like he, I think the reason why is because he said like in World War Two he actually like did stab someone. Yeah, no, he was yeah. Ian uh, was it Ian Fleming and him and a few other notable names were part of a very secret uh, like intelligence agency whose jobs were to go around and kill and steal. Uh, yeah, the guy that created James Bond is is also was also part of that. Oh yeah, no surprise there. That's crazy, man. I mean. Just... <laughs> Yeah, he's like, no, no, no. That that's that's what it sounds like when you stab somebody in the back. It's fine. No, I'm just I did like it right. Mad Jack and all these like crazy like World War II stories. Um, oh yeah, that's a whole nother. Well, oh my God, World War. What's that one guy who? Oh man, it was. I watched a YouTube video about it, so my like my knowledge is not full, but it was like this one guy who managed to take an entire town by himself by just oh, like. I think that's World War One. No, it was well, maybe, but there was World War Two too. Yeah, because it was against the Germans in World War Two. But yeah, he kept oh, showing. Yes. He kept, he, it was like in the middle of the night. Yeah, right? and he kept. Like, yeah, yeah. Random hours. And, he was supposed to rescue a guy, I think. Yeah. And then wow. he just decided he was going to take on the whole time, and he like captured like a couple hundred Germans something or something insane, like that. Yeah. Wasn't it, like over. He just like, walked across, them like, back to his lines. Like it was like they had to clear that town to move past this. To mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a really fun rabbit hole. There's like so many movies that are yet to be made with those characters, like real life characters. I know for. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's a movie that needs to be made in like I should say, I'm sure it's been made in Russia. Mm -hmm. But there's a uh, the the Mendeleev house in uh, Stalingrad. 
where like a single house in the center of that city when the you know most of the city was conquered by that point not all of it but you know like they they had taken over most of the uh, germans had taken over most of the city but a single fucking house with an anti-tank gun on its roof managed to hold out for really uh, like for until they were relieved until the soviets took back the city oh my god yeah they had underground tunnels where they were like getting supplies in and out and people in and out and like they literally like they're the they they stopped being able to bring tanks in because the roads in and out were littered with tanks that had been destroyed that's crazy like these people yeah they spent like it was like uh, 200 days i think mm-hmm. doing this just keeping this one house in the middle of stalingrad out of german hands and the germans fucking couldn't take it wow I'm, and like you know there's a lot of russian, like propaganda film or something yeah oh i'm sure the russians made it but it need, i think there needs to be an american movie made about it one of these days just because it's such an amazing like i love amazing stories from history that's yeah. one of the things i really love the stories that already exist in history that mm-hmm. just are untapped yeah yeah, there was like a, this is so great. I mean, I love hearing a lot of the World War One ones because I feel like so many people forgot about World War One. But well, I mean, especially growing up in school, like we talk about World War One, we just talk about like the causes, and then we kind of just say, "Oh, and then this happened," and then we move on. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's like, and the and the causes they list are never the actual causes either. They're just like, it's here's really, what yeah. here's what the here's what the textbook uh, creators have said is the cause, and the the people who approve these textbooks said we're okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, they made something, one of the most interesting things to ever happen in humanity be exceedingly boring. And I'm like, how do you botch that up? Like, I think, to me, it's my one of my favorite periods of history in general, because it's literally the old world meets the new world. It's like, in my opinion, yeah. one of the most critical changing points in human civilization. Um, well, what you do is, if you want to really make it boring, you make it about numbers, you make it about yeah. dates, you make it about names, and you forget the fact that there are stories. Right. Like we could talk about Andrew Jackson all day and Andrew Jackson is a fucking douchebag is was a fucking douchebag. But like his stories are so interesting. And once you hear them, like I feel like you may forget them, but you're like somebody brings it up again. You're like, oh, yeah, I heard about that because it's like, okay, what's the best example you can give of that? Andrew Jackson, you could talk about the Trail of Tears in this Mm -hmm. abstract way or you could talk about. Um, his his service and how he went in 1812 in New Orleans and all these other things. Or you could tell the story of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. And there's a story that, that, that my, my story that encapsulates who Andrew Jackson really is, is the time that a crazy man shows up in Washington, D.C. with a, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Shows up with a pistol in Washington, two pistols in Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. um, thinking that thinking that Andrew Jackson is what's preventing him from being king of England. Mm-hmm. And, and he goes up to andrew jackson and fires off one of the pistols and it misfires and andrew jackson does what any sane person would do in this situation and jumps the guy yep not just i mean they talk about how he beats him which he does do beats him with his cane but he had to jump him he jumped him first knocked him to the ground held him down and started beating him and then beat i'm sorry beating him with his cane and then the guy pulls out a second pistol Mm -hmm. and andrew jackson the insane fucking person that he is doesn't move, doesn't run away, lets him put it right up to his chest and pull the trigger again. And it, it also jams. misfires. Yeah, it jams. Yeah, it also. The problem was the dude was crazy. And when he bought his pistols, he bought them for uh, basically he bought essentially dry weather pistols for the mm-hmm. time period. And they were wet. Uh, and Washington, D.C. is not a dry weather yeah. area. It's, it's very damp. It's built on a swamp. Yeah, it's um, built on a swamp. 
but uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to pull the president of a, the United States of America off of his would-be dagger. assassin yeah. <laughs> and then take him to the hospital. God. I mean, uh, I mean, this is the guy who fought with pirates, literally. So, yeah. Don't, don't also huge douchebag. But oh yeah, you can you can I, 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 you can say that as many times I, I I can talk about Andrew Jackson as much as I want to, but I always caveat it at the beginning, end, and several times in the middle. Mm. Huge douchebag. A terrible person, one of the worst people who has ever been president of the United States, and that is saying something. Yeah, doesn't get better than that. Well, worse, not better, but yeah. But the stories are still interesting, and you remember those stories, right? Because, like, I saw the look on your face when I mentioned the crazy, and like, you're just like, I know that story. Yep. Those are that's how you teach history. You teach history with stories. That's this. You. When I when I talk about the stuff that I'm excited about in history, I don't think of myself as a historian. I think of myself as a storyteller. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why. That's how you got to be. Yeah. I mean, I've really let, shout out to. Uh, you should watch, if you don't, but people in general watching, highly recommend extra credits because that's how they teach history. It's definitely through more of a story mm. and characters, and it's like they have a nice, simple, little animated style to it, so it's very digestible. And then what's cool is if you really like the subject. They do like a bonus episode where they talk about here's all the things we kind of skimmed over or, or adjusted. Here are all our sources. So you can literally read in depth into it if you really like a certain subject. Um, mm. But I also like is they do very, very global. They don't just stick to just American or just European, um, which a lot of English speaking historians tend to do. I mean, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's where they're from. I had a hilarious idea recently. I don't remember what I was watching on YouTube or something, but it, you reminded me of it just now. And that is. To pick a day in history, it doesn't have to necessarily be a particularly, I think it was Twitter actually that I saw this because somebody was talking about how each day of 2020 will be worthy of a PhD in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Like you just be an expert on a particular day of the, the fucking dozen things, the crazy fucking things that happened on the end of this one particular days. But I was thinking about that as a, like a legitimate thing to do, like just mm -hmm. become an expert on one day of history everywhere in the world everything that happened it's a huge undertaking but it's, it's still possible. it's possible Maybe you know what i mean like era. it's yeah so De definitely definitely would probably be more of a modern era thing because you're talking about like remembering like in if you go back more than 200 years the amount of data available is significantly yeah. less so it's significantly less it's more it's way easier if you go back far enough mm -hmm. But yeah, in modern era, you could make a whole like, yeah, you could make a whole subject out of a single day at this point because that's how much data and information there is out there. Yeah, because you can also talk about how like data, information, everything moves, is moving faster and faster each year compared mm -hmm. to like, you know, I mean, if you want to go back to like revolutionary, I mean, um, the reason why all the electorates for electoral college are in, uh, I think they're all in Washington, they used to all be in Washington, D.C. is because it would literally take months like yeah half of a year. sorry i got an alarm going on no worries but it would take like almost half a year to like even get the votes in and have all the people vote on the president and all that stuff so that's why like nowadays every, i mean i think that's part of why on top of why everything's such a dumpster fire it's just like there's no time to just slow down it's always now it's always go 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 um so i feel like I talk about the problem with the current political system is that like we just it's easy to say we've become too polarized. We've always been polarized. Yeah, I think it's the difference between where we what we think of the opponents now and what we thought of our opponents then, mm -hmm. because 
it used to be like this again doubles back on the previous thing when we were talking about Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and Aaron Burr. Like I'd rather have the guy with the wrong principles than a guy with no principles. Mm-hmm. Today, we just assume anyone who disagrees with us has no principles. We just yeah. assume oh, yeah. that anyone who disagrees with us has malicious intent. Like, if you disagree with me, you don't want what's best for this country. If you disagree with me, you are deliberately misrepresenting your views to try and get as much support from other people as possible. You are a liar. You're a terrible person instead of maybe you genuinely believe that. And maybe we need to discuss why that is and start working on trying to, like, come to a like we can continue to disagree and still like have actionable legislation based on what we both believe. Like it's it's possible to, and uh, this world is this is the other half of it. The world is or our political system in general is built on incremental changes. Yeah, it's always been built. I mean, like that's the I honestly think that's the reason why it's sustainable. Incremental changes. You look at any kind of new democracies out there, and this is true of the United States yeah. as well. Super it's true. not incremental changes. There are big Titanic shifts from time to time. Mm-hmm. The United States was really bad. John Adams almost turned the United States into a, a dictatorship with the Alien and Sedition Acts. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he's one of the founding fathers, one of the most important founding fathers. But he almost turned this country into a dictatorship. That's a real thing that happened. Yeah, for people who don't, and, know, that's like you can't criticize the president or certain political yeah. figures, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it was worse than that, but yeah, like he was going to arrest anyone who disagreed with the government. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you look at new democracies, this is a real thing. This is a thing that happens. And it's not just that. It's, there's not good enough protections for uh, minorities, which is also a problem in the United States early on. Yeah. Something we developed incrementally over time. So democracy does not solve problems. Democracy creates tons of problems. Hmm. Uh, but it's I, I still I still support it. I still think it's probably one of the best things. But the United States is all about incremental changes. And you've got plenty of, and I'm 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 a Democrat. I'm not gonna. Uh, we've gotten to the point now where we're post uh, neutrality for our influencers. I think personally, I think you've got to take a stand one way or the other, or else you're helping support tyranny. But, and maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't, and I'm not saying everybody has to take 100% a stand, but I personally feel that way, and I have to just stop pretending like, oh, I don't care who wins. I care yeah. a lot, but. A lot of people on the left who are people I generally agree with on things like, you know, social programs, how the government should work and et cetera. They believe if it's not Titanic instantaneous change, it's no change at all. Yep. Like the idea of comp and this is true on, way, way worse on the right. There, I shouldn't say it's worse, but there are many, many, many more people on the right who also believe the same way. I mean, yeah, it's more. I, yeah. It's it's more of those than there are on the left. I think left of people on the left are more likely to compromise than the people on the right at this point. But and then maybe that's just my own biases entering in. Yeah, but like, ultimately, I feel like maybe four years ago that's the case, but I feel like now it's getting bad. Mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting well. I mean, you have to. It's like yeah, fucking what the hell else? Yeah. Like you, you're like, all right, well, let's meet in the middle. Okay, so by meet in the middle, you mean give me everything I want, right? <laughs> yeah, no, so I said I mean, meet in the middle. That's kind of what happened with the Obama presidency, 
where it was, it like, was. They kept trying yeah. to compromise. Let's meet in the middle. There yeah, was no there was no compromise. It was yeah. it was absolute and unyielding. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I believe that it, I, I agree. I think that at this point, there's no real options. You have to be absolute and unyielding back until the other side gets their shit together. I mean, yeah, you can't play but nice if they're going to take advantage of that, you know? Yeah. So I think, but, like, um, yeah. I'll just speak. Incremental. It's incremental changes. Mm -hmm. It's that's how that's how a real democracy succeeds. And it sucks to be one of the people who is oppressed whilst incremental changes are under un, underway, right? That absolutely sucks. But I don't feel like a democracy can be stable if it's constantly undergoing titanic shifts, even if they're positive titanic shifts. I just it because what is a positive Titanic shift today tomorrow, a new Titanic shift may come along that reverses those issues. That's why incremental changes consequences years in the future. Yeah. Well, that, the reason why incremental change is so important is because it's permanence. Mm -hmm. Like if you just make a rule and say this thing has to be tomorrow, everyone, this is how this works. You know, it, it the democracy falls apart. Your country dies eventually, very quickly, and and when you set the precedent that literally these important societal changes can be instantaneously done, they can be instantaneously undone. Yeah, I mean, people have always said like the reason why we have check and balance is is obviously to balance everything out, but also to intentionally slow everything down in the system. Because I feel like I don't know who said this, but like democracies or republics republics specifically are intentionally slow moving machines like, mm -hmm. and that's like one of the main reasons why and like if you want quick action republics are actually one of the worst and that's why during wartime you end up kind of restructuring the yeah if you want quick action you need a dictatorship yeah that's what you want you need one man republics conference. are inherently slow and they're supposed to be that they're built that way yeah. and that's the reason why they are honestly to god uh well there have been dicta quote unquote dictatorships because monarchies are technically dictatorships, like tr absolute monarchies are yeah. dictatorships. And those existed for thousands of years, but that was during a time of fief uh, like, you know, serfdom and like that was a different world in the modern world. That's not how it works anymore. No. If you want to have a stable government it, it, that works under the people because everybody's fucking talking to each other. Yeah. And you know is is and is educated. That's another important thing. Then you need slow incremental changes. Yeah. Things have to happen over a couple of generations sometimes. And as I said earlier, that sucks for the people who are currently being oppressed. But I'd rather have the change be permanent than instantaneous, and then five years later first. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, think about the future generations, right? Yeah, we're at a really interesting point in history, I feel like. I don't know. This fucking this fucking sucks. I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, not not on this. I don't think I've said it today, but uh when I talk to people about like faith and everything, like mm -hmm. I don't have a faith in almost anything. And <clears throat> but I have faith in the United States of America. And that's very uh Gnostic, I guess it's the word for that, I guess. But um, like I do, I believe in this country and I just, uh, that faith has been shaken quite a lot in the last four years. I, I feel like there was a really funny tweet I saw the other day where it was like someone like me in high school and like you're reading about a cool historical event and you're like, oh, I'd love to like live during a historical event. And then it's just 2020 and he's like, 
Get me mm. out, get me out, get me out. Well, that, what, the worst of, worst insult is, or the worst insult you can give somebody is, may you live in interesting times? Yes, yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, I mean, we really, I, I feel like no one knows what the next 10 years are going to look like. Like, I feel like things could go so south or so And they, well. they could work out perfectly. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I, I try not to sweat it. I just kind of remember I'm human. We have limited, we can only know so much. We have a limited perspective in that sense, you know, like there's no, well, maybe you are, but yeah. What? Oh, you're not human. Yeah. <laughs> now you're thinking, making you think of Neuralink and that's a whole other subject. <laughs> that I don't get into. Oh man. Like, okay. I was, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, how, like when you're young, you think you're so modern, but I know for a fact, like we're definitely the old hass hats that are like, Oh, I'm never gonna let my get kid get the Neuralink or like some sort of cyber cybernetic implant, <laughs> you know, shit like that. I, feel like that's gonna be I don't know what thing. world I'm going to live in like 20-ish years from now when I have my own kids, if I have my own kids. Yeah. It's going to be fucking, I don't know. Like what what, what what was 20 years ago versus what is now? I, the internet has changed so much. Just the existence of the internet has internet changed zero? so many people much recognize that. culture. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dial-up and all that. AOL. Yeah. AOL. MSN instant messenger. And when I was getting out of high school, we were like, we're all going to stay in contact because we all have MSN and that's going to be around forever. Yep. Wow. I was a kid. I mean, there's like a 10 year age gap for people don't know. Um, but like, I mean, I just watched, I don't know if you, I'm sure you heard about the social dilemma, that whole documentary. No, you should check it out. I mean, it's, I have critique about how it's written and structured, but overall the message and what they talk about, I mean, I'm sure you already know it as a YouTuber, but basically how social media manipulates you, how social media is the oh, yeah. with psychological. And like, I knew most of it, but it was kind of nice to see like how you can apply this knowledge to your daily life. Like how, how you can like, so what I did is I basically have a digital well-being thing on my app. So now I like have timers on certain apps. So I don't waste half my day just browsing Reddit or stuff like that. Um, so, but one thing that was interesting and that they talked about is like every social media like developer does not let their kids on social media until like they're in high school. And that's like a yeah. hard rule that most Silicon Valley people have. And it's like, there's, there's a really good reason why. Um, so, well, I mean, I mean, it's also the fact is like what you decide to put, like, this is the same reason why you should never film your kids yeah. period, mm -hmm. regardless of whether they're okay with it, regardless of what benefit you get out of it, because they are not old and, I'd say 13 or 14 is probably a good bet. And that's right around the time you get into high school. But yeah. like up to that point, they're really not old enough to make that decision on their own. Mm -hmm. They really aren't to make the decision to put themselves out there to be public as a person. Yeah. And if you make that decision for them, you are, it ain't good. That's, <laughs> that's all I can say is it ain't good. Like for me, because it just happened because of the way technology was advancing growing up. I didn't get on social media until I was like 13. And that's mm. only because Facebook growing up was only for college kids um, and didn't exist before then. So I didn't have the option of going on Facebook or all these things. There really wasn't like a place for middle schoolers to hang out online when I was growing up. Yeah. See, I graduated in 2004 from high school. Yeah. And I think Facebook was what, 2004, 2005 ish? But that was only for only for college for yeah, a little while there. For, for about a year. I think it was about a year. And then they finally opened oh, really? it up but i think i could be wrong i'm not 100 on that but i think it, it wasn't a very long period of time where it was only for school but regardless yeah we used to just work with like i remember irc and all the other stuff that you like people still use irc 
uh, crazy people, but still. Um, yeah, I remember IRC and like that being our social media like playground for the longest time. What's IRC? I actually, like, don't know. I, uh, Internet relay chat. Oh, that's like really old, old. Like, yeah, since the eighties, right? IRC. Well, it. Like it's, oh, yeah, I think it may even go back to the eighties, but yeah, I started on it in two thousand one, two thousand ish, maybe. I think it's actually no, it's in the nineties somewhere. But uh, regardless, you know the SCP Wiki still uses IRC. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I remember they were talking about that because yeah, they actually yeah. they actually were really patting themselves on the back for starting their own server up, which is great, but yeah. also still using IRC. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. All right, like I've talked to them about like what, why don't you use Discord? Like not me personally. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no, me personally once or twice, but I've also seen some other people talk to them about it, and uh, they're like, but Discord's going to go away eventually, which is when you're thinking about it over a multi-decade sort of span, like maybe i mean that's possible but and with the permanence that irc has that's kind of like the bedrock of it you know it's like irc's always got success so which i guess is whatever but yeah no i remember social media over irc getting to know people learning lessons of not to have internet relationships when i was still in high school never ever ever do that it's a bad idea a second um yeah yeah. (laughs) just leads to bad things and drama and you don't want either of the you definitely don't want the bad things you might want the drama some people do but it's not worth it oh. yeah learning lessons of my learning lessons i learned in my teens that's, that's just well, yeah, like i mean no. especially with us when we were younger it was like i feel like it was so taboo to have an online relationship oh yeah like it was such a bit like it was yeah. yeah my girlfriend from canada sort of thing like yeah yeah like it basically was like you had an imaginary friend yeah and we're like yeah it was not a real catfish or something like that yeah 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 i mean it's it's still a little like there's still a little like trace of that that still exists but internet relationships are so much more prevalent and common especially among teenagers like i should say between teenagers and people in in high school i should say mm-hmm. it is basically normal it's normalized at this point yeah. adult i think the adults still have the leftover bit of like uh taboo from the earlier times of the internet where it was a little bit less considered uh acceptable and that's the reason why it still exists is kind of a little, a little bit like oh really you've got an internet okay like I that's think- the parent parents of those kids right now are like oh really yeah okay yeah you've got a girlfriend i guess my parents are so used to me having online friends now because i've probably had online friends for like online friends are fine no because i I remember i feel like in high school i would get shit for saying i have an online friend they're like oh yeah you're oh you know like how do you have a friendship online things like that even it's just i I personally think that like real relationships like girlfriend boyfriend or whatever whatever your preferences are Mm -hmm. um are they require so much more What's the best way to put this commitment of your time and energy and uh, and like your personality that you can't really give to people like long term over the Internet, like long term relationships can work. That's totally true. But as someone who has had it in person and out of person relationships, they are not the same thing. No. I'm close. Even friendships, they're not. Yeah. Like your friends online and your friends in real life are just not the same thing. They can be close, but they're not the same thing. When it comes to something as important as a relationship with a person Mm -hmm. where you're both invested and like 
supposed to care about what happens to one another having it as like a shadow of what it's supposed to be just because that's that's convenient it it just doesn't it it just there's no it it doesn't this or doesn't that it just doesn't there's like that's all I can say. there's only this it's usually in the exception if it works out it's not the uh it and yeah you're, it, that's not an absolute mm-hmm. sometimes it works for people but yeah, uh it's, it's a small percentage it's a it's a yeah it's a well the problem is once you say that like everyone's like oh i'm the exception yeah yeah i'm the exception they're not talking about me they're talking about other people yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean uh back to you're saying with like sometimes with uh, online friends how it's different than um, person friends so one of my friends Gigi, she's actually the person who designed the Forlorn foundry logo but uh we met over discord and then eventually i ended up hanging out with her um like a year ago and our so we share a lot of interests for like she's a horror artist so like we have a lot of like common interests but like our personalities like our energy levels and who we are as people were so different than us that us just being like in the same vicinity for like four days was like whoa <laughs> we are not the same in person like she was like, like she's super low energy she's like a cat she literally takes like naps throughout the day and i'm a relatively high intensity high energy person so i was like being calm james and calm james was like high intensity oh my god this person's overwhelming uh to her so, so it was kind of funny i i found i was found this really hilarious but when i was leaving she's like james it's a good thing we're online friends and i'm like yeah <laughs> i agree <laughs> so that's like one of my friends where i'm like i'm glad they're my online friend like that's what makes us our dynamic work so well i feel like in person we never would have been as close just because how we for me personally it's a little bit rougher than that because I, I i essentially I feel like I it takes a lot for me to call somebody more than an acquaintance, first of all, like period, because I think of a friend like what I think of as a friend. I think a lot of people think of as like best friends, like a friend is somebody you're willing to go to the wall for, Mm -hmm. like period for me. So online online friends, there's not a lot of that for me, but probably more more than that is that um, I don't have really much of an object permanence for people I'm not around. I I have a very it's weird so I have a very very good memory mm-hmm. for like interactions especially personal interactions I have with people like autobiographical memory um so unfortunately I talk to you and I pick up exactly where I left off the last time I talked to you regardless of if it was yesterday or if it was 2 years ago wow right and I don't know if you picked up on that because we've gone like big gaps in between. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But that's I, I am as comfortable with you now as I at the, like I develop a level of comfort level with people. I don't lose oh, that. Okay, I, don't, I, I really yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also when I'm not around people, I kind of just forget they exist. I am 100% <laughs> they just, the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's really rough on online friendships and mm-hmm. or relationships. To be honest with you, <laughs> but uh, online friendships especially because you know you sometimes you can go long periods of time and somebody's got shit they got to do and you just don't talk to people for a while and then you're like oh yeah you i remember you yeah i, I think one way i caught like so for example Gigi, that's my friend the reason why we got close is because on instagram i would always post to my story like art i'm finding so like we almost always had when i every time i was casually scrolling instagram i'd see her stories or see art she's working on so it always kind of gave us an excuse to talk to each other so, mm. like, I'll go for weeks without talking to her at times. And then, like, 
I'll see her posting artwork again, or she'll like comment to something I posted, and it was just like, oh, and then we start talking and catching up all of a sudden again. Um, it reminds me of a girlfriend that I had a while back who, uh, way back, because when I tell you the reason why uh, that reminded me of it, you're gonna realize how far back it was. Um, but I used to like be like, oh, there's this one song I want. I want to get a copy of this one song, and she was really good at finding them. And then we would, just, you know, she'd find the song, she'd give them to me, to me on a CD or something like that. And then we would talk for a while, and we would hang out, and eventually, you know, turn into more than that. But eventually, I got a Napster subscription. Napster. <laughs> yeah, super old. But eventually, I got a Napster subscription, and that broke the relationship because <laughs> that was our one uh, thing, right? That was our thing. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was—it's rough to think of it like that. Like, I just—but that was it. That was the end of it. I was like, well, it wasn't the end of it. It, it wasn't like a snap. Yeah, but that was it weakened it went things. downhill. Yeah. And she even specifically said when we were uh, breaking up, we broke up like three or four times. You know how that goes. You break up and then you wake up the next morning and it's it's complicated. <laughs> but um, it, so like one of the times we were breaking, she's like, did you do that because you don't like me? <laughs> I'm like, no, it did it because it's more convenient than asking you, which wasn't much of an answer, but yeah. oh my God. it was true. Yeah. <laughs> like no judgment. I've had a, I was not the smoothest with handling those tough situations when I was younger too. Nah, uh, I, I honestly got, I'm not, I'm not at all embarrassed by that. That was that, that was the right response at the time. You got to be honest, fully, 100%. I'm. That's the thing. Another thing I've learned about my life, and it's the reason why I haven't dated for a couple of years now, mm -hmm. is that a lot of people, and for me, it's it's girls, but a lot of girls think they want an honest boyfriend. <laughs> They, you know what I mean? They think what they want is an honest boyfriend. Someone who will never lie to them, who will always tell them what they really think. Mm -hmm. They don't. No. They really don't. And after I, uh... about three months, three months of this, <laughs> no. Especially you. <laughs> you're wrong about this. Yeah. You're wrong about that. No. <laughs> no. I mean. Let me uh, look at this in there. Yeah, go ahead. One thing I really like is, um, I don't know if you know Sam Harris, but I really like his approach to honesty. Where it's basically like, if you kind of just set up the, uh, this is who I am, I don't lie. And like, instead of always telling the truth, what you do is you just, instead of lying, you just don't say anything. And then if the truth needs to come out, you let it out. I'm, not, I'm talking about for like small little things, not for like trying to hide giant secrets. I think, I feel like I, I like that approach where it's like, if the situation calls for it, then yes, I'll say the dress looks fat on you. Um, but... When I compliment you and say you look great in the dress, you also know I really mean it because I'm never going to just phone in a compliment just because. But then that also assumes there will eventually be a point where you actually give them a compliment. Sometimes okay, yeah. the truth. I'm, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, very, I'm very like, I guess, um, depends. But I can be very warm in a relationship and I'm very free with the compliments. So I feel right, like that's yeah. just like a personality thing. That like my biggest problem with that has always been... Um, uh, what's the best way to put it? I will always, I mean, like my brain immediately jumps to like, if somebody tells me a story about like, ah, so-and-so was a bitch to me at work. I'm like, mm -hmm. what's their version of the story? <laughs> yeah. No, I kind of do that too though. Yeah. Like, I'm going to say that out loud, but in my head, I'm like, yeah, but were they though? And then sometimes they'll tell me the story and I'll be like, you know, that's kind of your fault a little <laughs> bit there. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not that blunt about yeah, it, yeah. but you know, you try to get around to the point where you're like, 
maybe if you didn't do such and then like and you get the why don't you support me yeah, it's a whole thing but yeah like and that's way it's also should say it's way easier in person too like both employers and girlfriends have gotten super angry at me over my phone policy which is i never pick up i don't mean oh, yeah. i pick up rarely i mean never. i never pick up the phone huh. i will call you you don't call me is my policy Why, on the like phone card is it just like no oh, it's just nothing. um i actually didn't get a smartphone until whenever pokemon go came out wow which was like four very years, recent five years ago yeah. yeah i used to keep uh little flip phones or no, the little uh, brick nokia phones little tiny bricks um because i just call other people i it's the, people be like it's funny when people and you, you when people ask this question i suddenly realize how selfish they are but also i'm being super selfish in the end anyway so it's kind of evens itself out but whenever someone calls you a bunch and you don't pick up and they go what's the point of you having a phone i'm like so i can call other people i just text i avoid it yeah all well yeah <laughs> yeah like for me it's like i only really do heavy call stuff for work related things I mean, yeah it, well i mean discord calls and things but yeah but you know you, you've got the girlfriends and you've got work and that's about the people that you absolutely and, and sometimes if well not even my parents i moved away from home uh when i was 20 and for about five years like i because of my object and permanence for other people like mm-hmm. i was just like i'd go for years without calling my dad wow <laughs> and i like my dad my dad's cool but i just was like okay i've talked i talked to him yesterday didn't i like <laughs> And it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I haven't moved out, moved out. So, but, I mean, I did have a thing where whenever I traveled, I just disappeared from the planet. And I'm back home now. Yeah. So, because that's how millennials do. Mm-hmm. But, so, I mean, why are you people, why are you kids not buying houses and because you, you guys own all of them? That's why. I suppose where I live, we have like a super inflated real estate. I'm not going to get into real estate. Uh, history here, but yeah, feels like you want to. It feels like you really well, yeah, want we'll to. Say Long Island is a very interesting. Oh no, real I've, estate issue. Yeah. I've opened the faucet. I'm not. Uh, but yeah, I'm in it there. You live in New York, so yes, there's a huge, interesting real estate story. I'm sure. But yeah, well, especially with Long maybe. Island, like the first suburb was literally built here. So that, like, that's how far back it goes. Um, I'm ending it there. I swear. But uh, okay. <laughs> Because, you know, the Robert Moses Parkway. Okay, anyway. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay, I, I get you. Look into that's, a little too, that's a little too granular for me. I, I'm, I've got a wide base yeah. of knowledge about the particular parkways of New York. Not a, right, not a right. thing I know. Well, just quick, Robert Moses is the guy who heavily influenced how New York City and Long Island is like where all the highways went and how basically cities and towns were built. So he was like the mm, man really paved the way for what new york would look like for the next modern era so it's his fucking fault I got yeah you. literally it literally is his fault so that's why it's, it's the guy whose fault it is that's why it's just gotcha. like it's not often you have all these issues just be one dude's fault yeah, <laughs> so. cool although if you think about it like when it comes to city planning like it's fucking difficult and the fact that it works yeah. at all is yeah but then we're also like hey did you know that when you have big old skyscrapers uh next to each other on opposite ends of the street there's weird localized weather stuff that happens go to wall cool. street cool 
like downtown Manhattan. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, you get wind tunnels. I don't. I've personally experienced it, but I've I've, I've read a little bit and learned a little bit about how that kind of works. Well, it's trippy when it's, it's the middle of the summer and it's a bright sunny day and there's no sunlight around you and you're outside. Mm. You only really get that in like just Wall Street, like the really bottom part of New York City. I'm sure Hong Kong is a whole other story because they have skyscrapers yeah. everywhere. Um, they kind of have to. It's not a lot of space, but yeah. 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 Like every cyberpunk city. Technically, New York doesn't have a lot of space, but they're moving like they still got a lot of yeah, west. The that they can area. Go. Yeah. So basically, yeah. like New Jersey, Pennsylvania and New York, like surrounding areas of New York are also like part of the New York City populace. Like, yeah. A lot of people who so, live yeah. in New York City. Wait, it's, it's it's weird when we, I, I remember when I was in high school and I was first learning about this and I'm like, when people would use the words New York, sometimes they mean the state of New York and sometimes they mean the city of New York. Yeah. And the city of New York is like, it's multiple states. So it's like New York and then New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Like Jersey City is technically its own city, like Hoboken and all that, but it really is like kind of part of New York City if you think about it. Like yeah. all the people that work there and stuff, they're constantly in and out of Manhattan. But, uh, yeah, I learned more more about that from I think it was an episode of Futurama where um, they're trying to buy an apartment for Fry, mm -hmm. and like because he lives in they live in New New York, and uh, they show him this beautiful apartment, and he's like, oh my god, this is amazing! And what's the catch? And they keep going over like you know it's huge, it's four bedrooms, whatever, it's super cheap, and then at the very end he's like, and it's in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I mean. And he's like. Shit. Nope. All right. Well, we can't go with that. We can't do that. It's like if you it, and it's in New Jersey is the uh, from Rick and Morty. It's the, it's the planet that's made out of corn. We have to leave now. I actually haven't seen. I'm so far behind Rick and Morty. Oh man, that's that's, that's an older, very episode. early adopter of it. Yeah. Oh, that is an older. That's one a super right? old. Yeah. It's the uh, remember when? Well, second season finale. Oh, I think it is. Season. Yeah, it's the one where they're going. They're looking for a planet. After oh yeah Earth. okay and he's like yeah. everything is on a cob yes because there's like all these different leave. planets they went to yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's amazing but everything's on a cob or the other planet was like everything is amazing but the sun screams at you for yeah it's 36 hours or something yeah i like that one well supposedly people are saying if there was air in space our sun would actually sound like that it would be deafening because you know, like if there was air in space, then things would be super fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I mean, but for, like if sound could travel yeah. through space, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never realized that. But it was the idea that like people, I know, I know, I know what you're talking about, and you're absolutely right. But also, but people were like, if sound could travel through space, and I'm like, my brain immediately goes, that's not what sound is. That's not how sound works. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like yeah a, it's not a sound ray. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. It's, like, it's not. If there isn't a medium, there is no sound. And if there is a medium, then the whole universe works completely differently. Yeah. There might not be stars. So, if it was a unit, well, I mean, you'd have to have something. If there was, to be fair, if there wasn't, God, now we're getting into physics. But if there was a medium for sound to travel through, it would have to be to have lasted this long. It would have to be uniform throughout the universe. Mm -hmm. In order for it to be uniform throughout the universe there would need to be no concentrations of mass. So there would be no planets, no stars, no anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have to be 100% uniform so that a gravitational pull of any particular particle on any other particular particle was equal mm -hmm. so that it would be, nothing would move or else the, the, uh, the, the medium that you're talking about would eventually condense down into something. 
Yeah. Period. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's how the universe originally was when, because there was no reason, I should say, when the Big Bang happened. And this is, I'm not going to get into too much detail here because physics, but Mm -hmm. when the Big Bang happened, the universe was a uniform gas, period. Hydrogen, a little bit of, I believe, because of the heat, helium, but everything was uniform. So everything equally pulled on everything else. But during, what was called inflation, which was a super, super fast expansion of the universe. Little fluctuate. <laughs> this is getting into the weeds. Little fluctuations in the quantum realm because the universe was really small at the time. Uh, I'm making like this size. It may have been bigger, maybe like basketball size, but little fluctuations in the quantum realm where particles were popping in and out of existence created random. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, shit. Random roughness, for lack of a better word. Uh, random di- changes in density. Mm-hmm. And then the universe underwent some inflation, which caused it to go from like the size of a basketball to the size of multiple, like a galaxy. I'm, I'm, I'm really reducing down here. In, in like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. And those little pockets where the particles have been popping in and out were frozen in place and allowed for because they were randomized allowed for the coalition of those gases into stars eventually if it hadn't happened like that we would have a medium throughout the entire universe mm. but also nothing would exist yeah because there would just be the matter people say we're returning to that eventually the the even those people mass. Are wrong. Really? Because I've heard like the whole thing is eventually everything will kind of just be like a soup of gas. Eventually, then it will come back to cycle kind of thing. But like, there's there's multiple versions of this. Mm-hmm. There's the big there's the cycle, the big crunch that people yeah. talk about. But the big crunch isn't going to happen according to current understanding of physics. Period. Mm-hmm. Because there's not enough mass in the universe to cause it to collapse back okay. in on itself. Yeah. In fact, expansion is accelerating. Yeah. Currently. In fact, the uh, we will never be able to reach beyond our local group of galaxies, assuming the lights, the speed of light is the, the upper limit area. for speed. Just because, because the by the time, because the amount of time it will take us to get to beyond that, those things are moving away from us, and they are getting faster as they move away. They're getting further, and as they get further and further away, they're getting faster and faster. So we will never be able to get there in time yep. before the universe makes it impossible. Uh, beyond that, the end of the universe can happen in multiple ways. <laughs> There's a uh, vacuum collapse, uh, which is like, in a very simplistic way, the universal vacuum energy level is, say, not at where it should be. There's a step down, mm. and the rules of physics would change in like a little localized area, and then it would expand at the speed of light throughout the entire universe. Mm. That would be the end of the universe because it would be the end of the universe as we know it. Like if the rules change, life can't exist, at least as we know it. So we would just instantly be, it would be, you won't, your brain will not have time to process that it has happened. That's really cool. You're just gone. I know about heat Um, death. That's the only one I know about. yeah. Yeah. There's heat death, which assumes that the universe won't rip itself apart. But eventually, um, because the law of thermodynamics is that, you know, systems always become more and more disordered over time and you need an ordered system it's complicated again but you need an ordered system in order to get energy to work it's got to flow from one place to another if everything is equal if heat is equal throughout the entire universe 
then you can't get energy to transfer from one location to another yeah. because there's the, the way the energy flows. Yeah. That could happen. But what's most likely to happen based on our current understanding of physics is the big rip, hmm. which is, eh, I don't know the time periods for all of these because, again, numbers. But um, what's going to happen is that acceleration that I was talking about, where it's moving galaxies apart, eventually it's going to speed up so much that it's going to move stars apart from each other. Mm. And it's going to move literally the molecule, the atoms apart from each oh other. God. That acceleration is accelerating. I mean, that acceleration, yeah. that's that expansion is accelerating, period. It's not stopping. It's going to get faster and faster and faster. And eventually, atoms won't even be able to bond to each other. So it's quarks and then the what's going to happen? It's an interesting thing. It's maybe 100 billion years from now. I can't remember the exact timeline, but we look up in the sky and we can see galaxies, yeah. you know, really, really far away. As that expansion gets worse, the blue shift, no, the red shift, I should say, because yeah, right. it's yeah the blue shift is when it's coming towards us red shift is away the red shift is going to get so serious that the wavelengths because red shifting is essentially taking your wavelengths and stretching them out mm -hmm. um it's going to get a turn into a flat line mm -hmm. and there's going to be a point in the universe where you're not going to be able to see beyond say our galaxy and then there's going to be a point where you're not going to be able to see beyond our star and eventually oh there'll God. be a point where you can't see anything because light is being stretched as soon as it's emitted. Well, I'm assuming that's be the, long gone after that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah because like, at yeah. that point, also your part, your your atoms will be torn apart. Even yeah. there's a possibility like it'll go all the way down to the fundamental uh, quarks. Yeah. And if and if we don't know for sure, we're pretty sure that quarks are fundamental and that, mm -hmm. that you can't get it. You know, you've got <laughs> you up down uh, up down strange charm top bottom quarks uh, bosons. And leptons are the fundamental particles of the universe. Mm. Um, but there's a chance that they're made up of other things. And if they are, as the acceleration, uh, the expansion gets worse, those will also break apart. And if those things are made up of something else, those will also break apart until there is nothing anywhere that exists for real. Mm. Like it just uh, endless black. If you and even, funny part is we call it an endless black, but you wouldn't be able to see it. You wouldn't even be able to see the black because there's if you existed in that area, you would just break apart into constituent particles immediately. So that's a fun fact. That's actually why at the end of the movies it fades to black. You know, I've thought about the idea of doing, and I was going to write this as an SCP, mm -hmm. but I thought it was a great idea. What if the universe is just one really long take? And it fades to black in the end. That's the physics proves it. Uh, like, yeah. What if there's a director somewhere? And like, what if, what if somebody screws up, like screws up in the take, mm -hmm. and the director's just like, cut, let's start over. That's the vacuum shift. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the idea of doing an SCP where the universe is literally just a single long take for some from some visionary director in some higher level of the reality. And like somebody walks in the wrong direction or bumps into somebody and he just like cuts in immediately and is like, all right, that's it. We have to start over in the universe. Ends. It's like a start over times from the top times a trillion, basically times infinity. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a good point to wrap up. The end of the universe with the end. Oh, yeah. Let's fade to black. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. It was fun. Yeah. It was great talking to you. It's been a minute, yeah.
Uh, thanks, peeps. We'll be around. Who knows who our next guest will be? But <laughs> I'm glad you guys tuned in for this SCP, this SCP uh, uh, YouTuber thing, and got a, a physics and history lesson. Yeah. But that's the that's the world we live in. Kids I know things. That's, that's what I do. Look, if you're into SCP, you should be interested in history or science. Like I think we hit someone's interest bubble somewhere. Um, Probably. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Peace out, motherfuckers.